0: I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future
1: quake.
0: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr.
2: Future. And I am Tom Kyanamott Bionic.
3: That's because we're in a hurry, right? Yep. A short middle name, because we're talking to Russ Baker, the author of Family of Secrets, talking about the shocking revelations of the Bush dynasty. Um, we're not taking a swipe just at the right, but this is a case history that a lot of you, like ourselves, are going to be shocked to hear some information. Let's just we, go right to the interview. We don't have much time. So, with no further ado, here's Russ Baker of Family of Secrets, and we'll be right back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future.
2: And I am Tom, not part of the Family of Secrets.
3: Uh, Bionic. Excellent middle name this week. That was very,
2: very, very yeah. good
3: foreshadowing, don't we, you think? Yeah, very good foreshadowing because we have a classic future quake uh, this week with a wonderful guest who's going to inform us with some shocking information. Uh, this week we have Russ Baker, who is the author of Family of Secrets. And we're going to talk about shocking revelations of the Bush dynasty. And it's going to be very, very interesting uh, for our audience in particular to understand some of the information that's come out in your book. Mr. Baker, I want to welcome you to the Future Quake radio show. Uh, I think you're going thank to Thank fi-
1: you very much. It's, it's uh, great to be here.
3: Well, thank you for making time for us. I yeah. know you weren't familiar with our show before, but I think you'll find that it's a, it's a hangout that you'll be very comfortable at uh, with people who are thinking people and want to seriously consider and digest what you share with us today. Uh, To begin our discussions today, could you provide us just a real brief synopsis of your career and credentials?
1: Sure. I have been a journalist for more than two decades, uh, writing for a broad array of publications in the United States and around the world. Uh, My byline has been in everything from uh, magazines like uh, The Nation uh, to and the New Republic uh, to the New York Times, the L.A. Times, uh, online public things like Salon and Slate, as well as foreign uh, entities like the uh, Sunday Times of London. Um, I, I think most people know me as an investigative journalist. That's really what I've spent most of my time on o- over the years. But I also enjoy mixing it up a bit. and I do everything from uh, a profile of the Iron Chef uh, to, uh, to travel <laughs> pieces and essays. Okay. I like
2: uh, that Iron Chef, man.
1: That's a cool show.
3: Hey, if you want uh, strange and exotic people to profile, you're talking to them right now.
1: <laughs> Keep that in mind.
3: It's sort of a carnival freak show here. Yeah. We're like a highway accident when people pass by <laughs> when they listen to us on the radio. It's wonderful for you to be here. And we'll talk about more of this at the end of the interview, uh, but you also have a separate uh, group that you started to provide nonpartisan uh, reporting and independent information. Is that correct?
1: That's right. Uh, It's nonpartisan, and it's also non-profit because we don't want to have any kind of influence uh, from uh, uh, an owner. And so uh, that's what we are, and it's called whowhatwhy.com, but happy to talk about that more. Okay. Well,
3: I just wanted our listeners to know ahead of time that you're not carrying water for anybody. Uh, You don't have an agenda as part of any other kind of group and why you're presenting this information, Correct.
1: That's right, and uh, uh, although some of the publications I've written for have either a, uh, what, what would be identified as something like a, a, a liberal or a conservative slant or more of a kind of a corporate uh, orientation, the fact is that I always do my stories the same way. I, I just ask some questions, and I follow uh, I follow the facts wherever they lead.
3: Okay, and I'm assuming when you do that, you sometimes uh, find information that surprises yourself or, or the people that are supporting your activities in that area, correct?
1: I always do. (laughs) Okay. Mm.
3: Well, uh, what gave you the inclination and impetus to pursue a book on the Bush family? Uh,
1: Back in uh, uh, the early part of this decade, uh, I had been asked to go over to the uh, former Yugoslavia, uh, where they were coming out of the the horrors of the the wars there and the uh, tremendous genocide, uh, and to work in uh, the city of Belgrade with uh, uh, journalists, uh, train them how to do investigative reporting, uh, uh, the idea being that, that digging deep and getting the truth out to the people is absolutely crucial uh, in any democracy, and it is especially important in, a, in in one that's that's a budding democracy. And so, I was out there uh, during the uh, run up to the invasion of Iraq. It was very clear to me, and I was writing on. All- at the time that they they didn't seem to have uh, credible information to justify that. Uh, and as I both lived there uh, and traveled around Europe, I was struck by how people who were such friends of the United States, such great fans of our country, uh, had just done this complete reversal. They were so shocked by this uh... almost traumatized and and were really becoming quite hostile and so i thought to myself boy, you know something has really really changed not just in the relationship between the united states and these other countries but in our own country itself and i i resolved to get back i uh, came back in two thousand four And I began thinking to myself, what has happened to this country? Well, the answer, of course, uh, uh, one key thing was that George W. Bush was the president, uh, and he was uh, campaigning for re-election. I thought, I'm going to try to understand a little bit more about somebody who, like him, uh, whether whether you were a fan or not a fan of him, uh, he was an unlikely person to become the most powerful person in the world. And I decided I was just trying to figure out how he had become uh, that person and and, and why. And that's really what set me on my journey that that resulted in this book.
3: Okay. Well, I just want to mention to you as we now delve into the details of the Bush family that uh, our show uh, is broadcast from a very prominent Christian talk radio station. Uh, Bible-believing Christians that largely listen right here in the, the buckle of the Bible Belt in Nashville, Tennessee. We reach multiple states. Uh, we have leadership of Southern Baptist Convention and others that listen, prominent un- Christian universities, other other leading ministries, and as you know, um, most of these are very conservative, uh, moral beliefs and principles, and we would add ourselves to that as well, too, as far as, uh, moral issues. Yep. Um, and they were some of the strongest supporters of George W. Bush. At least some, somewhere along the way, they got, they got on board this, so. This is going to be challenging information you're going to present today to our audience and ourselves. Now, regular uh, listeners of Future Quake have had just about every aspect challenged already over the years that we've been on the air, uh, as we ourselves have sort of debunked some things yeah. that we thought we understood. Boy, no... and uh this week will be another week of that for many of us in the odyssey we're taking to try to understand how the world really works uh as christians we believe the bible is a true expression of the reality that's out there and in fact uh the information like what you share actually drives us stronger in that direction and we have a deeper understanding of how the world works in our faith much like uh, dr stan monteith and others talk about so i want our listeners to be aware to uh Put their thinking hat on today, have an open mind, and to prayerfully consider the information that's coming out. Uh, as, as we open uh, the first chapter today uh, in the Bush family saga, uh, I'd like to discuss the grandfather uh, of George W. Bush, Pre- Prescott Bush. Uh, and if you could share this a little bit about his activities before and during World War II, uh, we know a few things like, uh, I believe it was a company, Thyssen or Thyssen, a German Thyssen, yeah. Yeah, a German company. Yeah, they built
2: uh, all yeah. the steel for the concentration
3: camps. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, if you could share a little bit about uh, his relationship with them, the Rockefellers, uh, even uh, his affiliation with organizations like the American Birth Control League and, and groups like that, could you could you fill us in a little bit?
1: Uh, sure, um let me start by saying that family of secrets uh, uh, my book, uh, which I spent five years on uh one one of the things I tried to do was to uh, not duplicate too much of what is already out there either in other books. Uh, or on the Internet, and so uh, I think most of the things I'm going to say are very unfamiliar, uh, including probably to you two gentlemen, Uh, but I'm happy to talk about The Grandfather briefly. Uh, Some of this uh, has been Uh, in other books.
3: Excuse me, Russ. Let me make sure I understand what you're saying, is that um, the book, while it's a a very large book, uh, it's not intended to be exhaustive in in the intent of duplicating Other information that's out there, and our listeners need to go look at supplemental sources, but you really target information that somehow has fallen through the cracks. That's very, very important, correct?
1: Essentially, this is information that even the other uh, biographers and researchers uh, did not have. Okay.
3: All right. All right.
0: So proceed. Sorry about that.
1: Right. So so going back to the grandfather, I did spend quite a bit of time trying to understand the Bush family itself. I I think in a nutshell, uh, <clears throat> going back quite a number of generations, um, they're really what you would call patricians. They are people who uh, uh, identify themselves very much with the uh, uh, with with the. Uh, um, if you want to say the sort of blue blood sector of american history uh and and in fact, they actually aren 't if you go far enough back uh they 're not uh, there are many families in this country, you know but that uh, right back at the time of the American Revolution and before that were already very wealthy and influential that that's not really the case with the bushes uh but but they did start uh, uh getting very tight with that sector uh in the 19th century in the late 19th century uh and so uh the uh, the, the, the great-grandfathers uh, of, um, of George HW of, of George W Bush rather uh, both uh, became uh, wealthy men uh, and, and and quite influential uh, and one great-grandfather uh, uh, had some business dealings with the Rockefeller family that's the roots of the, of the Bush's ties to the Rockefellers uh, the other great-grandfather was one of the most important uh, uh, financial figures in the country running a very important business brokerage out of st louis and he was tied to all kinds of industries uh i found his fingerprints everywhere including uh being involved with outfits that were selling weapons to both sides in world war one uh and then uh playing a major role in in convincing the united states to enter that conflict so they're, they're very powerful people the the grandfather you're talking about prescott bush um came out of this very well healed and already influential situation uh and he uh, uh joined uh, an investment banking firm called Brown Brothers Harriman uh that was a uh, uh, Started by the the Harriman brothers of the the, the famous uh, railroad dynasty, uh, and they were young when their father died, and they had turned to a man named George Herbert Walker, one of the great grandfathers of George W, uh, to run the company. This is the, uh, the the stock person I'm talking about. And uh, uh, Prescott Bush had married his daughter, and so Prescott ended up becoming involved, becoming a partner with this uh, firm, which is little known but extremely powerful even to this day uh, as one of the largest. The private uh, Wall Street firms, um, and uh, 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 what you're talking about, um, and I've, I've seen records in the National Archives that confirm this. There were investigations of the role of uh, Brown Brothers Harriman in providing essentially a kind of a cover for German industrialists who were tied up. Uh, with uh, with the Nazis, in fact, people like Thyssen, who had uh, helped to to fund the rise of Hitler. And um, uh, uh, to be fair to them, I don't want to excessively single them out because, in many respects, right. uh, uh, capital is value neutral, and uh, that's what these people do. I think if you look at Swiss banks and you look, and frankly, at a lot of American banks, um, they, they they unfortunately don't uh, pass judgment on whether their uh, or, or where the money came from are worthy or not.
3: Right, right. And as we have more and more multinational corporations, it gets more confusing. You know, back in the good old days, uh, you had the guys over there have Mercedes and people like that build uh, their hardware, and we had Chrysler and Ford build ours, and now we're all owned by various places overseas, so they sort of get to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, where their where their loyalties are and what they provide, but but I I hear what you're saying. It's a very complicated uh, understanding of what some of those are. It is, are. Although,
1: although in the, in this particular period, for Brown brothers Airmen and particularly Prescott Bush to serve as basically surrogates. Uh, for these people deeply involved in the in the uh, Nazi machine was uh, considered uh, pretty shocking, uh, as it should have. And and in fact, uh, there were serious investigations conducted uh, by the United States government.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Right.
1: There was well, and that hearings held and so forth.
2: Well, weren't they? But uh, well, just I was just thinking that. And as I recall, those things were those hearings were sort of swept under the rug, in so far as they even went so far as to delete. Uh, surnames out of most of the congressional reports and tried to run uh protection for the people involved in, in that am i did, did I get that right or not
1: well you're that you're essentially correct i mean uh, uh a lot of these kinds of things a lot of major uh, hearings and investigations that that uh, uh, established the role of very powerful Americans have basically been uh, wiped clean from our collective memory bank, and this is uh, the, the role of Prescott Bush and his partners is certainly one of them.
4: Hmm.
3: Interesting. Um, you know, s- some other points that I had come across in my cursory research, certainly not to the level that you have, that and you may not have any comment on this that I found interesting, is that when you go back several generations, you see uh, a minister, uh, I think the great-grandfather, who was actually a, a, a minister who uh, went from, a, a, I believe, being a, a Presbyterian, uh, mm-hmm. who actually uh, sort of turned away from all of that uh, about the supernatural. <laughs> well, he, he if, if From the right readings I had done, he turned away from the supernatural belief in the act of God and became a Unitarian. Oh well, and gosh, so yeah, had, that is a big move. And, and and not only we think of them associated with Skull and Bones, but there's another secret society that I believe one of the possibly Prescott's father was involved in, that that assisted in the Wolf's Head secret society as well. Is that does does that ring a bell with you?
1: I'm not familiar with any connections to Wolf's Head. Uh, certainly the skull. Bones Connections go back uh, quite a ways, uh, George W. Bush, his father George H.W. Bush, uh, Prescott Bush, all members, but actually many, many members of the family, uh, plus uh, dozens and dozens of their close friends, all in this organization. And it's important to note that uh, Skull and Bones has just a handful of people admitted every year. It's a very, very small uh, and exclusive club mm-hmm. um, in which uh, uh, you know, they, they swear loyalty to each other and uh, and and, and, uh, and an oath of secrecy that uh, uh, carries out throughout their lives uh, but as far as the uh, what you're talking about is the, one of the great great grandfathers Reverend James Smith and uh, he was actually uh, a minister to some of the wealthiest congregations in America uh, uh, back in those days uh, becoming a minister was one of the uh, important steps that the son of an affluent family would take typically you wanted to have one son be a lawyer uh, and you Wanted one to be a minister, and uh, that's what all these families did. And the ministers uh, were key figures in the establishment. Uh, and and James Bush uh, was a minister for some of the wealthiest families in America. Then on Staten Island, uh, uh, at the time of the uh, gold rush, he went out to the West Coast. Uh, where he uh, served on Nob Hill, uh, some yeah. of the again some of the wealthiest uh, families uh, in in the new in in, in California, uh, so they were they were wired uh, very much way back, and, and also said uh, James Bush had another interesting connection. He uh, served uh, in a in a function with the military and actually traveled on a military ship to the West Coast, uh, and there are indications that some of this involved uh, an early uh, connection to military intelligence. Uh, a theme uh, that uh, relates to uh, a great part of my book, Family of Secrets, which is about the Bush family's a secret history with the uh, with the intelligence services of America.
3: Well, that certainly is a, a hallmark, I guess you would say, from the research that, that you have done. One other quick thing before we move on that I thought was interesting, too, was the connection of, if I have this correct, Prescott Bush with Margaret Sanger uh, oh, yeah. and his strong uh, connection and support of the American Birth Control League which mm-hmm. is very different from the position that you know and, and of course in generations people change position i'd say you and your family have changed posi- positions on issues right you and your no. generation we, before we you.
2: actually came out of the all came out of the womb with the same
3: conservative <laughs> position so uh, you know i know there's there's no change in that but i i'm I don't know if many of our listeners understand uh that in generations past how strongly they were in supporting birth control or the birth control well. and uh in fact, some sources I saw that seemed legitimate that uh, Margaret Sanger and him actually had something going on
1: Ooh, uh, for a while. Really, I don't know if you've wow. come
3: across that, Mr. Baker.
1: The, uh, the uh, some uh, elements in the birth control movement, and this is only some because there are very different uh, uh, aspects to it, but certainly some, and a lot of these people were very involved with the. Uh, American Museum of Natural History here in New York, uh, a lot of the uh, the early birth control movement came out of that. Uh, they were very interested, you might say, in sort of the study of the development of civilization. And a lot of these people really were elitists, and they had a notion of their own uh, sort of proper place at the top of the heap and uh, keeping things that way. And, and, and they were alarmed at the rise, frankly, of uh, a, a growing uh, population of people who were uh, uh who were not white uh uh, and who were uh, who were poor and who uh, were very likely to begin to uh, ask for their piece of the pie and so I don't want to ascribe cynical motives to the entire uh, birth control movement because I happen to think that uh, there is a limited amount of space and resources here and it does make
4: sense mm-hmm.
1: uh, to, to plan your family but uh, I think the objectives uh, of some people involved in it and particularly some of the people surrounding the Bushes and there is some evidence of this in, in, in correspondence and other things was, was a a little, bit, uh, a little
3: bit different. Mm-hmm. But their motive, as I understand back then, was much more clear-cut and upfront that they believed in. let get rid my, of undesirables. Well, my research called motive. it was defined <laughs> as negative eugenics, is that uh, rather than trying to promote... <laughs> it's like positive eugenics? Well, uh, positive eugenics involved a uh, encouraging increased fertility of the elites, of those that had the, the proper stock. Negative eugenics is, is encouraging sterilization or other forms of of reducing really? uh expanding wow. populations of those uh and uh i think they use the term dysgenics or, or something akin to that um uh, of these other kind of people that were involved I suggest our listeners do some of their own research in that area uh, how uh, coming up to the last two generation of, of Bushes here how did the bush family members have early associations with the cia and the intelligence community and, and the appearances in the records
1: well, this appears to go way back. You know, the, the the CIA was created in the aftermath of World War II. Uh, prior to that, we simply did not have uh, a civilian uh, intelligence organization. People are often surprised to learn that that there hasn't always been one, and there was not felt to be the need for one. Uh, we had other kinds of uh, apparatuses uh, for for conducting investigations and, and performing police functions, but there's always been military intelligence and back to the Revolutionary War. Uh, in fact, every army has had uh, intelligence functions uh, anywhere in the world. Uh, and, and the Bushes and a lot of their compatriots uh, in, in these uh, uh, sort of elite circles uh, have always tended to, to associate with those things. And so you see uh, indications that um, Prescott Bush uh, serving in intelligence uh, in World War I um, and those were desirable units for a whole variety of reasons, In fact, including the fact that uh, you were not sent to the front. Um, but in any case, uh, you, you see Prescott's background there. And then uh, in Family of Secrets, I devote, I would say, almost the first half of the book to indications that uh, George H.W. Bush had a secret past uh, working with the intelligence agencies prior to to 1976 when President Gerald Ford appointed him to be the director of the CIA. Now, this is very, very important and, and it has not, uh, uh, I think, gotten enough attention that that uh, people sort of wondered why H- H.W. Bush was made CIA director. In 1976, there were uh, tremendous investigations going on on Capitol Hill into uh, all sorts of wrongdoing and illegality, uh, unauthorized operations on behalf of the CIA reopening investigations into domestic assassinations foreign assassination and trying to figure out exactly how much this agency was just completely uh, out of control and so uh, out of all the people in the world that they could have picked they picked uh, George H.W. Bush uh, by the way in the book to make it easier for, for readers because you don't want to keep reading George H.W., George W. and back and forth I, I use nicknames that they were given in the family. The father's nickname was Poppy and the son W. and that's, that's the way I refer to them. But in any case Poppy uh, gets named to this thing and he supposedly got no no background in intelligence and no experience at all in the uh, the newspapers are just you know scratching their heads about this but basically what I have uncovered through a tremendous amount of research, and by the way family of secrets has more than a thousand footnotes in there uh, I interviewed uh, well more than 500 people and I and I looked at as many books as that um, uh, and and thousands of documents was that George HW Bush was in fact not. Uh, a newcomer to intelligence. In fact, the very reason they appointed him was because he had this secret past in some of the most sensitive operations, and therefore had a tremendous incentive uh, when he became director during this period to keep uh, prying eyes away from, uh, away from uh, the, the, the truth about what had been going on.
3: Hmm. So, uh, in other words, because of his... Uh, well, I, when looking into his history and family history, obviously when, when, you, when you're involved in groups like Skull and Bones and other kind of groups and these high-level business meetings, you show an aptitude to be able to keep your mouth shut, uh, to be able to see things, uh, to follow along with plans without asking too many hard questions, uh, issues, morality, these kind of things. Uh, do, what, do what you're told. Uh, And again, to to be able to to do activities to keep other people quiet, those are valuable traits uh, in intelligent work, correct?
1: Absolutely. In fact, that was very much tradition, even in these, uh, um, um, you know, East Coast kind of waspy circles. That, uh, uh, you know, even at the dinner table, I mean, you didn't just blurt anything out. The discretion was the byword, um, and uh, Prescott Bush himself was a very secretive man uh, with his own uh, his own children. Uh, and so the way it you know it seems to work is that that's that's the rule, and then there's a, there's a time in which you you very quietly reveal certain things to uh, key people around you, and then and and, uh, and then you go forward. So, so yes, those, those outfits like skull and bones serve, you know, what exactly they are and whether they're anything more than uh, something where people want to belong uh, is something subject to debate, but what is not subject to debate is that these are people who want to belong and that they agree uh, to abide by this code of secrecy, and that's key, and you're right. Uh, as I point out in Family of Secrets, uh, the Ivy League schools – and particularly Yale, where all of these generations of Bushes went, uh, were key recruitment grounds uh, for uh, the early uh, CIA uh, in the in the, uh, in the in the post-war years. Um, and so George H. W. Bush would have been a natural recruit. There were many people, by the way, who went into intelligence who were in uh, Skull and Bones and. and uh, some of the other, uh, some of the other secret societies at Yale, um, and and so what we see, and I, I sketched this extensively uh, uh, in the early chapters of Family of Secrets. We see George H. W. Bush in World War II uh, as the pilot, uh, performing essentially naval intelligence functions. Uh, so he's already being steeped in that, and then he uh, he comes out and he moves to Texas, uh, purportedly as an oil man, but as I study uh, his oil companies, Zapata Petroleum, uh, I find uh, the, uh, indications that it was essentially a cover vehicle uh, for uh, operations of the CIA, uh, which in that in that same period, Alan Dulles. Uh, had just been named uh, head of the CIA uh, by President Eisenhower. Alan Dulles uh, was a close friend of the Bush family. He was an attorney. He and his brother who worked for many of these large multinational companies like United Fruit uh, that were deeply involved yeah. in meddling in, in Latin American companies to protect their own interests.
3: Well, we, we United Fruit came up uh, uh, last week in our show where we talked about General Smedley Butler, who... Uh, by his own admission, carried the water for uh, United Fruit in toppling a number of countries until he got wise to what was going on and became their sta- staunchest opponent. And uh, again, stopped a fascist takeover of our country in the 30s. We're back at Future Quake with Doctor Future and Tom. Bionic. There goes our time. We don't have much time left. Any comments before we bring Merv in? Uh, this was great, jam-packed interview, full of all sorts of great
2: information. Stay tuned for the next couple of weeks.
3: Big time food for thought, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. we'd like to hear from you all in email. And Merv can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake.
5: Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information.
3: Okay, that's it. That's it. Let's go. We gotta get out of here. Not right. much time talking this week. Uh we'll be talking maybe further on Friday. Until then we hope your future's bright. Have a good day. Bye.
0: Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
3: Welcome to the Futurequake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Lightning Bionic. Yes, we have to hurry because this is our second installment with Russ Baker, author of Family of Secrets. And we're talking about the shocking revelations of the Bush dynasty. Uh, amazing for everybody here listening to it. With no further ado, here is Russ Baker. I'd just like to mention for our listeners, too, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Mr. Baker, that when you, when you talk about the East Coast elites that provide a grooming ground... For leadership like this in, in some of the shadowy parts of our, of our society, that it's, it's not necessarily just a right kind of thing. We have families like the Roosevelts, Kennedys, others, and many others that we could name, who, who also have a similar culture of secrecy, where one family member doesn't know what the others do, or if they do, they know how to keep secrets amongst themselves, and to even cover for each other at various times. So, there's a culture that transcends the left-right paradigm, I believe. Uh, where they see that they have a caretaker role over the rest of us in flyover country here. Uh, and well, it, it, uh,
1: it does, but to be fair, I mean, we, we have a, a secrecy as a part of the human condition, and and uh, we do see this all over our country at, at all different levels, socioeconomically, in other words, and we're constantly reading and the hearing in the news about somebody who turns out to have had a secret life. So, in fairness, but what I want to say is that this particular use of secrecy uh, among these groups uh, was very much for a for a, for a purpose and it was an understood purpose.
3: Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about the blue blood elites, you're probably not talking about Chuck Barris, who operated the Gong Show, who also was a <laughs> he was a he was an operative <laughs> I too of the FBI, right? You're not doing a book <laughs> I, on. <it>. I, I, <laughs>
1: I am not talking. I mean, here. I mean, and I don't mean this in a particularly pejorative way. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are from blue-blood families, and uh, just as many of them are 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 upset about the kind of things that I've discovered in the book. But I'm just talking about a particular small subset.
3: Right, right. Oh, I, I I know you're taking great efforts to be fair and mm-hmm. reasonable. Yes. And I really we really appreciate that here. In fact it's a good reminder for us, uh, to, to uh to abide by the golden rule and how we uh, pursue this information. And I think that makes you much more credible with our audience, the fact that you don't want to be overreaching in the information that you present here. Um it, it, and also too, uh, you know, you talk about groups like Skull and Bones. I just read in the news today that uh uh, Obama is now going to rely more on John Kerry as an advisor. I don't Sweet. know if you have caught that in the no, news. No, I didn't so, get that this morning. So there, there, there is, there's always means by which they can apply their particular influence, left or right, uh, in the community that we have. You mentioned the Zapata Corporation. Uh, I heard uh, Dr. Stan Monteith, when he was interviewing, you mentioned an interesting correlation, maybe totally unrelated, that Zapata was the – the actual name of the operation for the Bay of Pigs operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, then,
1: I've never established whether that was a coincidence or not. If it wasn't a coincidence, it was sort of reckless, let's say, to, uh, <laughs> to use the name of a CIA cover company in a in a in a, in an operation uh, against Castro. So. Could,
3: could you elaborate a little further about this company and the significance of it, how it was used as a tool?
1: Well, sure. I mean, what, as I studied... Whatever kinds of documents I could find, I thought this whole company just didn't make any sense. You know, they, um, uh, well, first they set up a domestic operation in Midland, Texas, uh, uh, Zapata Petroleum, and then uh, Poppy Bush very quickly set up another uh, uh, entity called Zapata Offshore, which was to do offshore drilling. Uh, and he really didn't have any capability. He, he, uh, capacity, he, uh, ended up getting, uh, just a handful of rigs. And basically what, what the company did was they sort of leased them out to oil companies, big oil companies in different parts of the world. Uh, and so if you think about this, I mean, it's a perfect cover for intelligence. They, he's, if you look at his travel records from the 1950s, this man is going all over the world, including many, many places where there is no oil, where there uh, – <laughs> or, or setting – like, he set up a branch office in Medellin, Colombia, which is known for certain things, but it ain't known for oil. I mean, right. Medellin is, is – is distance from the coast. I mean, either you would have set up an office on the coast uh, uh, where you were, you know, potentially drilling or perhaps in in, in, uh, in Bogota, the ca- capital, but you wouldn't do it there. And so that's very curious. Uh, lots of strange things like that. And the company was mostly losing money. It uh, didn't make any sense. And yet, and in fact, I looked at where uh, the funding for these outfits were coming from and huge amounts of money being put in by, for example, the owner of the Washington Post, Uh, at the time, who was a good friend of uh, then-Senator Prescott Bush, uh, Poppy's father, uh, and uh, also was a good friend of Alan Dulles and and a great enthusiast of American covert operations abroad. Uh, And then we see, for example, uh, they put a rig in the late 50s uh, on something called the K-Sal Bank, which is just off of Cuba, Uh, you know, prior to the Bay of Pigs invasion. The the, the entire... uh, uh, um, coloration of the company uh, is, you know, it's just classic as as, as a cover.
3: That would be an awful lot of coincidences of just the ones you just
1: mentioned. it's more than than that. I actually, uh, in Family of Secrets, I actually – uh, site specific uh, uh, documents government documents for example uh, a document that uh, shows that when Poppy Bush began launched Zapata offshore uh, he did so with a, a, a man uh, who was an active duty CIA officer who according to these cover <laughs> records resigned from the agency to go into the oil business with Mr. Bush now Sweet. this is a fellow who was in his <laughs> late 20s uh, he had just the US government had just spent a fortune to train him it would be very uh, unusual that, that they would be happy about him just saying, you know, I think I'll just go into the oil business.
3: Very, very interesting. And and I should have said this up front, but uh, you know, the allusions you're making to out of your book, which is which a much deeper well of information than what we can cover today, uh, is is a kind of reference that people like myself and our other listeners who voted for Bush twice, uh, I originally didn't support him in the primaries the first time he ran, but uh, once he was a candidate, and I looked at the alternative. Uh, I admit that I voted for him twice and, in fact, supported the Iraq War for a long time uh, before I became privy to more information. So those of you out there that are listeners who are like me, uh, who are a little late to understanding some of this information, uh, getting this book would be an important reference for you, not only to to review yourself but to either get extra copies or to pass out to other friends you know, your family, your church, others, to be really well-informed. And, and the real positive thing that can happen is that by knowing this information, we can be a little smarter next time when we pick our leaders. And that we won't let mainstream media do our, chew our food for us and set these out there. And that includes our religious leaders as well, too. Uh, that we, we can be a little more careful when we see future leaders have similar pedigrees to what we're talking about, We can connect the dots and realize that they have been groomed for a position that can be manipulated, and uh, I want to talk about that a little bit further right now. And if you disagree with me on my points, please uh, speak up, uh, Mr. Baker.
1: Well, Uh, I I not only don't disagree with you, but I hope that you'll save ample time for us to talk about uh, how uh, Americans were uh, manipulated into supporting George W. Bush, uh, and and particularly – uh, people who consider themselves to be members of the evangelical community. So I hope we can save some time for that. Yeah, we, we probably
3: won't have time for that, but I don't think that'd be of any interest to <laughs> us, would it? We, we, we'll carve away a minute or two for that. Uh, uh, to, uh, to, to look further, you know, obviously one of the seminal moments in our world history was the Kennedy assassination, and. Uh, uh, you, you know, you, you picture Forrest Gump being one of these guys who actually touches all these famous figures. Well, the Bush has almost seen that way as well, in that all of these significant events in our history somehow have a Bush connection. Can you can you elaborate a little bit about the Kennedy assassination and some of the curiosities there that pertain to this family?
1: Well, sure. Um, when I was uh, studying the father, George H.W. or Poppy Bush, uh, and trying to learn a little bit more about him, I became fascinated with uh, um uh, the um, uh, his path into politics and this is just how I work and instead of having a specific agenda I just want to kind of create a timeline you might say of somebody's uh, movement and so uh, I had already established that he, he appeared to be involved in intelligence work early on and then I happened upon uh, this curious statement that he had made uh, I guess he hadn't been expecting this question which came from a news organization they were interviewing him and it was all pretty benign and they just asked them, Mr. Mr. Bush, uh, 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 tell us about some of your historical recollections. you remember, where were you the day that Kennedy was shot, uh, November 22, 1963? Well, I guess he hadn't been expecting that question, or, or maybe he just had a problem with it, but he, he just sort of froze, and he said, well, gee, you know, I, I just can't remember where I was. And... uh <laughs> you know I, I i i suspect both of you uh, remember where you were if you're over you were over the age of five, and I think most of your listeners probably remember where i
3: were. i was a zygote at the time
2: i was minus like twenty three or
3: something yeah i was i was had very little <laughs> i don't know if my ears had formed at the time in the womb, but i knew something was up though <laughs> i was an amniotic i was an amniotic fluid i could never forget when i was Help. there.
1: Well, whenever I do a public talk about this, I ask the audience if they remember where they were, and everybody who's you know over the age of what 50 or so. sure, yeah, uh, all their hands go up. Sure. And I, does anybody not remember where they were? Who's over that age? And usually it's nobody, or or it's one uh, particularly uh, a disheveled looking person. who Looks like they're not even sure that they're at the right event. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, Sound like a future <laughs> quake, like the future quake people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, sure, but in any case, so 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 this was very interesting to me, and I thought, well, here's a man where I'm already seeing indications. Well, we know he was working with the intelligence services in '76. We have indications now that he was uh, uh, involved for many, uh, actually, decades before then, and way before the Kennedy assassination. So I thought, well, why would he, you know, why would he say that? And I began looking at his own writings, and I was struck by the fact that he simply skips that period. He just even these, you know, where he's got diaries and letters and stuff uh, l- listing all kinds of uh, major national events. He basically just skips it, and I thought, well, well that's very... Ridiculous.
3: Well, maybe he had no interest in political or security events like the Kennedy assassination.
1: Well, you could say that unless, <laughs> in, uh, until you found out that in 1963, he was actually on the campaign trail in huh. Dallas, Texas, uh, running for United States Senate.
3: Interesting. So I guess wow. there goes that argument. Uh, yeah. so, so, so what happened? Why, why the association well, there?
1: Well, so what happened was here, and I have to say, I've never been what you'd call a conspiracy buff or a, or a Kennedy assassination buff. I, I really probably know knew less about it than maybe... Some of your listeners, but uh, when I when I saw this issue here that he didn't know where he was, uh, the way I work is I just say, well, I've just got to at least answer that for my own satisfaction, uh, and and find out where he was. And so I began digging in, and this basically took me in a, in a direction that that I found absolutely. It, I sort of almost went down a rabbit hole into a whole other dimension of American history and a whole other understanding uh, of, of, of power and events in this country. And I think that's one of the key themes of Family of Secrets is how little we all understand about what goes on in our country uh, To this day, actually, in in terms of behind the major events that shape our course, Mm
4: -hmm. what I
1: found uh, was, among other things, uh, there are two uh, declassified FBI documents that came out uh, after uh, H.W. Bush left office, uh, declassified under Clinton, uh, and uh, one of them... Um, uh, shows uh, um, that on November uh, 23, um, uh, the FBI uh, had consultations about the Kennedy assassination and about uh, uh, anti-Kennedy, anti-Castro-Cuban exiles. Uh, And this memo references the two, two liaisons of intelligence services who were briefed, and one of them is named in there, and his name is Mr. George Bush of the CIA.
0: Hmm. Okay. All right.
1: So the sa- the same man who can't remember where he was According to this government document, was actually at the time of the assassination working for the CIA and was involved in some capacity where uh, he was being briefed uh, about the assassination. So that struck me as interesting. Then there, and also that he was working with uh, anti-Castro uh, Cuban exiles, who, as you probably know, are always mentioned as possible, uh, having possibly be somehow in, implicated uh, in, in in the effort against Kennedy. Uh, over the, you know, over their anger over the Bay of Pigs invasion and his general policy toward. Uh, in any case uh, there's another document and this one is actually from the day of the assassination and it says uh, it's an FBI document from the uh, FBI Houston office and it says at 1.45pm today we received a call from a man who asked that his identity be kept confidential his name is Mr. George H.W. Bush he lives at blah 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 Briar Street in Houston he is an oil man and he called from Tyler Texas to report a possible threat to the president's life now keep in mind again this is the same man who says he can't remember where he is in another Mm -hmm. government document he's identified as working for the CIA having connections uh, to uh, something related to uh, uh, at least the investigation of of the assassination Uh, and and in this other document he to be a private citizen and he's calling to offer a tip and in Family of Secrets I look at that tip and it takes us a whole chapter to sort of unravel this whole thing and it actually brings in even dearly beloved Barbara Bush uh, who plays a strange role in uh, what looks to be an effort to sort of rewrite the history of what happened that day. In her own memoirs, but in mm-hmm. any case, we don't have time here on the show to go into all the detail. I hope your listeners will have a chance to read it. I try to write it like a detective story, but it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And you, you end up finding that Mr. Bush uh, was friends with all kinds of people uh, who had connections to figures in Dallas. And, uh, and one of those connections, I think is very, very important is he uh, was a lifelong friend of a man named George de Morenschild. Now, George de Morenschild became of interest uh, to the Warren Commission. They interviewed him at such length that he was uh, the second largest, uh, most lengthiest uh, interview of any person there uh, because he had all these strange links. And George de Morenschild was basically, you might say, the kind of father figure to Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, basically managing Lee Harvey Oswald's life in in uh, in, in uh, six months out of the year leading up to the assassination. But George DeMoramson was also an old friend uh, of Poppy Bush, and you see Poppy Bush's home address in his address book. Uh, when De was found dead some years later, you find correspondence between them uh, this is you know it 's fascinating stuff and i i 'm very careful not to form any conclusions that's my that 's my style uh, of working very precisely and so I lay out all of these names and these dates and sometimes it's a little overwhelming, but it, it gives your, your 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 listeners a chance to to sort of play detective themselves and come to their yeah. own conclusions
3: so you lay that raw data out on the table and then uh, readers like our listeners are going to have to have that difficult task to think is it strange that, uh, Poppy Bush, that's HW, correct? It that's right. Is actually, uh, hanging out in good friends with the guy that's grooming Lee Harvey Oswald at the same time that he works for the CIA. Um, that's going to be a real stretch for them to know what to do with that information, I'm sure. Indeed. I'm sure you don't know what to make of that as well, too. I'm, I'm actually wondering uh,
2: if your research ever encountered anybody uh, or any connections between the Bushes and uh, uh, a gentleman named Hoffman who runs the Venice uh, – or used to run the Venice Municipal Airport in Florida by chance? No? You
1: know, um, I've heard a little that airport um, – uh, and uh, I know there's a, a, a researcher who does a lot of work on all of that. Um, I, I I myself have not done any uh, any digging into
3: that. Okay. Any any other comments before we move on on the 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 whole Kennedy assassination issue that right. well, uh, beyond your book that there's
1: are... a lot. Th- there's a lot more to it than that. I, I I devote a good portion of one chapter in Family of Secrets to. Uh, a little bit of an understanding of the circumstances surrounding john f kennedy at the time that he was that he was killed uh, to to address for myself as well as for everybody else the question of was there some larger motive for the removal of kennedy from office and i uh, again i had to kind of uh, bring myself up to date on this and i was astounded at what i found at the at the enemies that john f kennedy and his brother robert had had created within power centers in this country uh, the pentagon Uh, defense contractors, uh, not just the mob, which is well known, but but uh, large companies they were investigating for antitrust and the the steel industry, and on and on and on, these two brothers were really making life very, very difficult for a lot of very wealthy uh, and powerful interests and there was a uh, there, there, there was a, a kind of a uh, those, those sectors I think never really liked them right from the beginning, but as time passed and they became uh, the brothers became more uh, uh, resolute and challenging these power centers um, it, it, it was kind of coming to a head uh... and it's not just my book that comes to that conclusion there's several other very interesting books out now with completely different information lots of documents and correspondence and they all essentially come to the same conclusion uh... that that it it, it sort of parallels uh, what happened in these other countries when people like salvador allende in chile uh... uh angered the united states and angered uh... american uh... companies there including uh... pepsi bottling and ford motor company and what have you through his own uh, political actions the same thing with uh, Arbenz in Guatemala uh, and Mossadegh in Iran, all these people democratically elected, and they began angering uh, these powerful uh, corporate interests and their allies uh, in the United States government. And so there is a pattern uh, of the removal of uh, democratically elected leaders from office, sometimes by a violent means. And, of course, you also have Diem in South Vietnam and Lumumba in and so forth. Uh, so, so, we really need to do a lot more in terms of educating ourselves about how, how these things work.
3: Well, the next thing you're going to tell me is that uh, uh, Poppy Bush might have some affiliation with members of the Warren Commission. Politically, <laughs> oh yeah,
1: you're you're absolutely right. And uh, this is another thing I didn't know about. But when I read the Warren Commission's transcript of their interview with George DeMourneshild, I said, "Well, these guys are either incompetent or something worse." Because you know, and 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 your listeners can go online and you know just type in Warren Commission uh, transcript, you know, and you'll you'll go to these sites where you can read the stuff and read the stuff after, after you've 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 read the sections in Family of Secrets on George Shield and Sheldon. that'll give you the correct spelling of this very complicated name you know go and read those transcripts and 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 see if i'm not crazy but boy the the what they do is they ask him these softball questions and every time he himself reveals that he's connected to some powerful you know this is again the man you know sort of guiding lee harvey oswald and they'll say well tell us about your life and he'll say things like i was a friend of the you know the chairman of uh you know humble oil you know and then the guy goes "Uh huh. well next question where'd you get your tan
4: (laughs) Sweet.
1: I am not making this up. I am not making this up. And so you read this and you say, well, these guys don't seem like they're interested in getting at the all. And then you start studying the composition of the Warren Commission. Well, first of all, the most active member of the commission altogether was a guy named Alan Dulles, who had been fired by John F. Kennedy. Now, why was he even on the commission? I, mean, I was talking to a friend who's an expert in police uh, uh, procedure and rules, and the first rule of an investigation is you never involve anybody uh, who has any uh, uh, any any conflict of interest.
3: Right, even on a local jury, much less something important like this.
1: Uh, that's right, that's right. And in, fa- in fact, it's even worse than that. There wasn't anybody on the Warren Commission uh, who actually liked John F. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were all conservatives. They were all very much part of the banking uh, community, or 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 uh, or, or the uh, you know they were on the Armed Services Committee tied in with the uh, uh, with defense contractors and what have you. I mean, it was the strangest thing. This is a country that was grieving, mm-hmm. that was grieving over this man. There were thousands of district attorneys and skilled uh, investigators of all types who would have jumped at the opportunity to be a part of it, and they deliberately excluded every one of them.
3: Well, at least you had Gerald Ford on there, and we, we know he <laughs> didn't have any political aspirations and, you know, not any tated later. But then you have other people like Arlen Spector, who was the incredible genius that came up with the ricocheting bullet, correct? that uh, right right in fact, in fact both of them
1: played both of them played a key role Gerald Ford uh, uh, um, rewrote a, a, a little reference to the bullet in such a way that it would have justified uh, Spector's theory. Uh, in was he, he 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 changed the the so the, the 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 reference to the placement of the the entry of the bullet. Mm. So so Ford was a key figure in that. And as I in Family of Secrets I go forward and I point out that there's Gerald Ford and he's the one who appoints uh, George H W. Poppy Bush to be the head of the CIA right in the period when the CIA is covering all this stuff up.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, let, let me just mention here as we move on, because we could park here for a long time, and, and make clear to you as well as our listeners, is that we're not here to, to ground an axe against right-wing conservatives or anything like this uh, today. I mean, we, we do frequently here. But uh, our personal opinion, I know Tom and I both, was we cover all these stories, is we recognize these kind of activities the go amongst is, the elite, yeah. to the left and the right. Uh, you could write somewhat similar books, although the Bushes are, are quite a whopper in terms of what you've exposed with this. But we have these activities above people who believe that they're supposed to be caretakers and they do their their own things, and they'd rather not the public know or, or be concerned uh, with these kind of activities that go on behind the scenes. I'll, I'll never forget a quote that I heard from FDR uh, after the the conspiracy to overthrow him, uh, right-wing conspiracy uh, was uncovered, and a reporter asked him at some gala black tie event, uh, how come you didn't go after them in Congress? They let all the top conspirators go. And his comment to him was, uh, you know, uh, that those folks and my folks all come from the same families and the same circles, and we have other ways of dealing with these things. So a, a lot of this stuff, I believe, is dealt with off the record. And the public are sort of lemmings, and we're given the information that their media friends decide to give to us, except for shows like this. Yeah. And we appreciate independent reporters like yourself. Uh, To to switch gears a little bit, uh, let's move the uh, story forward about another big event in world history uh, about ten years later, and that's Watergate. Could you tell us a little bit about how the Bushes have a particular role in the whole Watergate story?
1: You know as much as this uh the Kennedy business fascinated me and, and perplexed me and deeply troubled me as I went down that particular rabbit's hole uh the next thing that I encountered were, were questions about uh, uh george H. w Bush's political rise uh following uh, nineteen sixty three uh, he uh, lost for the United States Senate in 64, and in uh, 1966 got elected to the House of Representatives. And he was immediately appointed to the Ways and Means Committee, which is one of the most powerful committees in Congress. It had been something like 60 years since another freshman had been appointed, so he obviously had a lot of pull. And he very clearly was representing the interests of the oil companies there, Ways and Means being responsible for taxes. Uh, and, and, and the other thing that struck me was that, that in 1968, and again, he's just a freshman congressman, Richard Nixon is running for president again. And uh, he gets down to a handful of possible vice presidential picks. And one of them is George H.W. Bush. And I say, my God, this guy is rising really fast. And then I noticed in 1970, he runs again for U.S. Senate and he loses. Uh, and Nixon appoints him to be the ambassador to the United Nations, and I think, my gosh, this guy has no foreign experience, uh, and and here we are, in 1970, you know, at the height of the Vietnam War. Uh, what what about of...
3: assassinating world leaders? Would that count as experience <laughs> international?
2: Well, I thought it was only I thought it was only domestic. Oh well, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: He, he got her. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Russ. <laughs>
1: So anyway, they, he appoints him to the UN, uh, and then in 1973, uh, as the Watergate scandal is finally starting to really unravel after Nixon's re-election, uh, he appoints uh, Poppy Bush to be the uh, chairman of the RNC, the Republican National Committee. So I say this is one of the more extraordinarily rapid rises to power. And and I was struck by the fact that Nixon typically didn't trust a lot of people. He was very suspicious, and he had just uh, uh, axed most of his cabinet. At the end of uh, you know after his re-election, and yet he constantly was was promoting and loyal to george hw bush and i said well i wonder what that's about and so I much back, much Wal- much
3: like ronald reagan was loyal to george hw bush as well too correct
1: uh well that's another story
3: we're back at future quake with dr future and tom speed demon bionic yeah not much time here so merv would you tell our listeners how to contact us at future quake
5: Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
3: Okay, that's it. I'm done. Let's go. Come back tomorrow. Till then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Adios.
0: Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
3: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm
2: Tom, high speed bionic.
3: Yes, because we must hurry. We have little time for our third installment with Russ Baker, author of Family of Secrets, talking about the shocking revelations of the Bush dynasty. So here's Russ Baker, and we'll be back to wrap it up here on Future Quake.
1: So I was struck by that, and I wondered why Nixon was loyal to him. And, and, and checking out uh, the uh, the hundreds of hours of tapes, you find uh, 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 Henry Kissinger making a disparage. Talk about Bush as a lightweight and Nixon agreeing, and yet here's Nixon giving him all these opportunities. And I thought, boy, this sure looks like Nixon feels he owes something mm-hmm. uh, uh, to 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 Mr. Bush. And I wonder what that could be. Well, I I start again digging back, and what I discovered, uh, and again there's a, there's a, an entire chapter just on this question in Family Secrets. What was the nature of that relationship? And and this just absolutely astonished me. What I discovered was that Richard Nixon was beholden to the Bush family. That that his roots with the Bush family went back decades and it went back all the way to 1946 when richard nixon was nobody and he was selected to run for the house of representatives himself and all of the evidence points to the fact that he was basically selected to run uh by a group of people that was heavily influenced by prescott bush who i actually show was in his district at the time uh and they were deeply deeply concerned about the man they ran nixon against a guy by the name of jerry Voorhees. Who was uh, very involved with trying to uh, regulate the excesses of Wall Street and investigating insurance companies, you know, issues that certainly resonate uh, with us today. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this was in the uh, this was just at the tail end of the Great Depression, and, and Voorhees was very very concerned that these companies were, were reckless and unaccountable, and he was going to do something about it. And uh, uh, apparently, the Wall Street interests around Prescott Bush were determined to get rid of him, and they did it by uh, running Richard Nixon. And so Richard Nixon basically owed these people. And if you think about over the years, Nixon was famous for sort of grousing privately about the the Eastern establishment, and people always thought he meant liberals. Uh, But it turned out he didn't mean liberals. He was talking about the bankers, and he was talking about Prescott Bush. And so basically, and in Family of Secrets, by the way, uh, if you look at the uh, the photos in there, there's a photo of uh, Prescott Bush, towering over richard nixon and they're both wearing these uh these panama hats and prescott bush is putting the hat on nixon's head and nixon looks sort of embarrassed but like he has to (laughs) do what this guy tells him and and i think that picture just just speaks you know just speaks legions because that was what the relationship was basically richard nixon couldn't tell the bushes what to do the bushes told richard nixon what to do
3: amazing okay so uh any further elaboration on how they showed their loyalty in return regarding Watergate? Uh, yeah, well,
1: ba- basically, uh, uh, again, this is based on my research, uh, and I, I mostly just lay out the facts. But I came to the astonishing conclusion, just as I had had to re- completely rethink what I thought about the Kennedy assassination, and I had accepted that Lee Harvey Oswald had done it alone. My research changed my mind, my research also changed my mind about richard nixon and uh, uh, it, it didn 't entirely change my mind about uh, who he was and what kind of a person he was, but it did change my mind about one thing, and that was about the circumstances under which he was uh, uh, he was removed from office and looking at that uh, and and already beginning to understand that that all pressures all presidents are under tremendous pressure from these from these these uh, you might say sort of ongoing interests, uh, I saw that Richard Nixon, once he became president of the United States, he 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 became a little different. He started to exert his his independence and mm-hmm. he began doing all kinds of things and, and actually taking on initiatives that displeased the very same people that Jack Kennedy had displeased.
3: What about like United trying States. to end the Vietnam War? was that something? Well, yes,
1: that, that that's another one. And, and we're now finding that, that Jack Kennedy has, uh, was struggling in secret to figure out ways uh, to begin withdrawing troops from Vietnam uh, prior to his death. He, that was what he was resolved to do. And he knew he realized that Vietnam was going to be a quagmire, and that there was no way to win. Uh, uh, Nixon um, was doing two things. He was trying to bomb the back. Age and he was secretly negotiating to end the war. Uh, And he and Kissinger had these back channel negotiations with all kinds of regimes. They had cut out the CIA, they had cut out the Pentagon, uh, and we now know that there was actually a Pentagon spy ring in the Nixon White House where they were. of purloining documents, confidential documents, and, and trafficking them back to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, and there's this whole history there that's documented but not well known, where Nixon was battling with all of these interests. He also was significantly was battling with the leadership of the CIA. And right from the beginning of his administration, he was demanding records on the Bay of Pigs and Bay Area, and we think on the kennedy assassination in part because uh... again people don't know this richard nixon himself was in dallas the morning that kennedy was killed and uh, I think Nixon was fascinated by how it was that he had been convinced to go there and be there at the time when the man who had just beaten him a few years before uh, was assassinated. So Nixon began tussling uh, with Richard Helms, the head of the CIA, uh, with the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, he was uh, uh, battling uh, for some, to some extent with J. Edgar Hoover at the FBI. Uh, he was instituting some thing areas of the environment and labor and antitrust that were angering large corporations. So Richard Nixon, actually, by today's standards, would have been considered basically a moderate.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, again, he, he – uh, although I think he was hostile somewhat to young people early, it, it looked like he moderated that somewhat and took some activities, uh, again, pulling back from the Vietnam War and things like that, that I, I could see a picture uh, that, that, that might be present here. So do, do you go so far as to – suggest strongly that uh, some other people who were implicated in the break-in somehow got some instructions through uh, a Bush or a surrogate?
1: Well, what I discovered was that, that the number of intelligence officers or people connected to the intelligence apparatus who were surrounding Nixon and who played critical roles in getting him in trouble was astonishing. Mm-hmm. And that uh, uh, that that, in fact, not only was the Watergate burglary, I believe, and many other people, deliberately botched, uh, and I, I go into all the details. They did things like uh, the, the man who who put the tape on the door that the security guard discovered. Uh, he was himself a former high-ranking CIA officer, and he, he there was no reason to put tape on the doors. And then he put the tape on the doors horizontally, so it didn't just cover the lock, but it went around onto the door itself, so anybody walking by would see the tape. <laughs> and then when the guard removed the tape, this CIA man. Put the tape back. So you look at that and you say, I mean, are these burglars trying to evade discovery or are they trying to be discovered? And so I go into all of that. I, I point out that actually prior to Watergate, break-in, there were other things Uh, uh, covert operations that if discovered would have made Nixon look bad Uh, all of the evidence points to the fact that Nixon didn't know about the burglary he didn't know about any of these operations and that the people who were who were putting them out there were designing them uh, so that they would be discovered and so that when they were discovered they would be traced back uh, to Nixon's White House and cause him tremendous political problems and as we now know that's exactly what happened Uh, and he was removed and as far as Mr. Bush goes uh, he turns out about to be tied to many of the key figures in this thing, uh, from uh, uh, John Dean uh, to uh, a, a man in the White House, very little known, who was advising Nixon, who was a, a skull and bones brother, uh, to, um, uh, to uh, even uh, uh, Leon Jaworski, the Watergate prosecutor, who turns out to have been from Texas and a very close friend of the Bushes, and himself to have had ties, long standing ties, to the CIA. So we don't have time here again to go into all of this, but I go into a chapter after right. chapter in Family of Secrets.
3: Awful lot of coincidences there. Uh, do, do you Can you surmise what they were able to – if this is true, this, this assertion – what they were able to resume once um, Nixon was out of the way? Do you have any kind of evidence that they were able to get back on some kind of agenda that they wanted, and if so what, once he was out of the way?
1: That's such a perfect question and and it's it, it's so dead on, yes, absolutely uh, uh keep in mind Nixon used to joke his vice president was spiro Agnew uh, and and when when he chose spiro Agnew instead of say Poppy Bush or any of these other people, uh one of his remarks to, in private was that uh Agnew was his it was his uh insurance against assassination, and I think he was only half <laughs> kidding because I think that this right. guy is bad and he's so corrupt. Uh, nothing is going to happen. Well, what You mean like, sort of
3: like a Dan Quayle kind of
1: guy? <laughs> well, funny you should mention that. But in any case, what <laughs> happened was uh, 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 when Nixon, when they were already, uh, my, my evidence shows, gunning for Nixon, trying to figure out how to remove him from office, obviously it wasn't enough to remove Richard Nixon from office if Spiro Agnew uh, was going to become president and muck things up uh, for them further. Right. And so you see first... Uh, spiro agnew suddenly is is there are leaks uh, and there's an investigation into his corruption he gets removed they they convince uh, Nixon that he's got to put Jerry Ford, the man from the Warren Commission, in as his vice president. And then they start working to move Nixon out. Jerry Ford becomes president. The first thing he does is he takes Poppy Bush, who was over at the RNC, and uh, a logical person that the Watergate investigators might turn to to learn a little more about what he'd been doing. And he takes him and he says, hey, why don't you become our our, our envoy to china <laughs>
4: again mm-hmm, a position mm-hmm. for
1: which he's not qualified and he sends him all the way to the other end of the world where he's totally uh out of the picture and off stage during all of these investigations so the next thing ford does is uh he's got a couple of young guys working for him there in key positions uh i don't know if your uh listeners would have heard of them one guy uh, one one's name was donald rumsfeld uh, uh and the other uh, dick.
2: it's like the the eagle the twins do, Go
1: ahead. Our wow. uh, are, 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 are chief of staff and, and defense secretary, and then they swap positions, which is extraordinary also. Uh, but then they're in, in there with them while all these investigations are going on, and they uh, convince Ford that what he's got to do for the CIA is he's got to recall envoy George Bush and put him in as director of the CIA. So you see this constellation of Influenced by the, uh, what Eisenhower called the military industrial complex and by the intelligence apparatus, uh, with its ties to, uh, to corporations and, 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 uh, Wall Street money. You see this apparatus very much running the show. Uh, I, I think in that sense, Ford was basically a figurehead. Uh, mm-hmm. he was not really, uh, calling the shots. And I had the opportunity to meet him, and he was a very nice man individually, but clearly not, he did not have the chops to kind mm-hmm. of understand. To make those sorts of decisions.
3: He didn't fall on you when he saw you, did he?
1: <laughs>
3: he tended to be sort of unstable. He was a
1: little clumsy. Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah but uh, he, he was a good guy to facilitate and get the right people in the right places. It seemed like there was a guy very similar who actually uh, put Chaney and Rumsfeld in the right places a second time, if I remember correctly.
1: Uh, uh, yes, there was such a thing. Uh,
3: and, and in fact, we've had prior shows talking about uh, once they were reinstalled under the Ford administration, how they began to expand the role of groups like FEMA uh, to take on continuity of government, uh, basically alternative government structure functions and roles as well, too, beyond just responding to hurricanes and and, and that type of thing.
1: Donald Ross, uh, go ahead. Just just as an aside, uh, I have a chapter uh, toward the end of Family of Secrets on FEMA, mostly on FEMA, and it's all new information. You remember Brownie, uh, you're doing a heck of a job, Brownie, uh, uh, the guy who ran FEMA, well, I, I was <laughs> curious how this guy got his job, and, and I never saw uh, that the mainstream media really pursued that. They just made jokes that he wasn't qualified, right. he worked for the horse Association. My question was, well, then why did they put him in, and this led me down a whole other path where I explored how he got in, the man who put him in, and that man, by the way, uh, who was a, a close ally, uh, in fact, that a man named Joe Albaugh, and, and Joe Albaugh was uh, Bush's campaign manager in 2000. and. He he was the one who vetted the vice presidential candidates and who cleared Dick Cheney uh, to become vice president. And then uh, they appoint uh, Joe Alba to be the head of FEMA, and Joe Alba decides he can make more money on the outside getting contracts, so he brings in this guy, Brownie. Well, I interviewed Joe Albaugh's ex-wife, who told me that uh, Joe had run a mysterious company with all kinds of strange cash coming in and out, and he could, she could never figure out what it was. And she said, I don't want to sign these checks anymore. And he said, just do what you're told, and he told her that he was in the CIA.
3: Sweet, interesting. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, I was waiting for an interesting revelation in this interview. So <laughs> we're finally getting around to something worthwhile for our chops here. Uh, no,
1: nobody's accused you of having a dry sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, uh,
3: and, and to be fair, uh, every time a new administration comes in, left or right, they haul in their cronies uh, who have been uh, yeah, promoting them and doing other kind of well, things. Well, it just like seems
2: that. like with these type of people, though, it's like their cronies happen to be the Dark Sith Lords, you know?
3: Or, or Yeah, you're giving a bad name to Dark Sith Lords. <laughs> uh, yes, my master. While we're on a roll here, Russ, um, uh, on, on these topics, we've mentioned the Kennedy assassination, major event in American history of the 20th century. We talk about Watergate. Did you do anything looking at the Reagan assassination attempt and any kind of strange connections there?
1: Um, you know, I did not, and uh, anyone who would accuse me of looking for things that uh, are 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 certainly fascinating and, and certainly and raise possible questions about the Bushes, uh, I think would have to say, well, he, you know, he didn't bat that one out of the park, and he could have. Um, I, I don't have – I'm not privy to any particular information on that. I do know uh, that uh, John Hinckley, uh, the man who shot Reagan – Uh, was from a family, uh, an oil family from Midland, Texas, that were uh, great and dear friends with the Bushes, uh, and that, um, uh, in fact, at the uh, time of the shooting of Reagan, uh, um, Neil Bush, uh, George W. Bush's brother, was due to have dinner with John Hinckley's uh, brother and and their their respective wives.
3: Well, I'm sure Uh, the odds of that are very high. You're taking two... (laughs) Two families across the spectrum of America, the odds that they'd be meeting the next day, yeah, you know, and your your brother shot the president the the day yesterday i'm perfectly sure that natural, it's perfectly likely normal. a coincidence, I would assume wouldn't you Russ?
1: you know i I don't know what to make of that there actually are coincidences in the world. The problem right. with the Bush story is that there that when you add up the coincidences and in family Secrets there literally are hundreds and hundreds and of these kinds of things at some point you go to a mathematician or or, or a statistician and you say what's the probability here
4: mm-hmm.
1: you know is there any math to show that so many things could be coincidences and they're all pointing in the same direction uh, and I have a feeling they would say no and and Maybe that's you know. not my opinion that's just yeah. that's just you know, you're, the way it is.
3: you're talking to the right guys for that. Yeah. There's a whole lot we don't know. Yeah, but, but math advanced mathematics or statistics is one of the things well, that our, like our background that
2: would cause an overflow error in like MiniTab or Excel. Yeah, I don't yeah. think this is a
3: random number generator in a Why computer. Why my computer smoking? Gen- generating <laughs> these things. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot here, uh, Russ. It,
1: it, by, by the way, it is it is worth noting. That George H.W. Bush, uh, uh, when he was CIA director, Jimmy Carter came in, and Jimmy Carter uh, immediately uh, expressed to his own advisors that he felt the CIA had become dangerous, that it was out of control, and it was not functioning appropriately in a democracy, and that he was going to do something about that, and he wanted to put Ted Sorensen in as CIA director, and that was uh, rejected out of hand, uh, and he ended up having to go with a military guy, Stansfield Turner, who tried to reform the agency, and the agency did a number on them that was very, very bad. And in Family of Secrets, again, I've got chapter, all the details on what they did to Jimmy Carter to, to force him, basically, to prevent him from having a second term. Poppy Bush was deeply involved with that, and he began immediately running for president uh, uh, out of a uh, bank in Texas with CIA connections again. Uh, and he ran in 1980 in the primaries against Ronald Reagan, right. who was right. essentially an outsider, in a mm-hmm. sense, uh, to this establishment, although backed by other wealthy people, and mm-hmm. Reagan beat him. But then what did he do? He immediately appointed, took this guy who he didn't like. He felt obligated. For some reason, he had to put Poppy Bush on the ticket, and there was Poppy Bush as vice president, and, and he was had to wait eight years to become president.
3: Well, my understanding and, was from, from that era, because I can remember things going on at that time, um, was that it was very much like the LBJ association with Kennedy, in that he said some very hurtful things. I can relate from that era that that really stuck and stung with Reagan about talking about voodoo economics uh, regarding the Reaganomic approach of supply side. And that Bush was supported by the Rockefeller Republicans, if I can remember correctly, uh, the establishment. And uh he was one of the staunchest enemies, again, in, in running against Bush. But there were some smoke-filled room activities that I remember the reporters talking about during the convention that sort of led him on there. Uh Evidently, if there was something afoot there, they didn't get the right guy in the uh, hospital to finish the job off. Uh that you don't happened-
1: like L- 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 Let's 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 do another show because we could talk extensively about this stuff and I do want to save time. <laughs> okay. To talk about George W. Bush. Yes, okay. Yes. Well, of let
3: course. me let me uh, let, let me just wrap this up and put you on the spot before we move on here. Okay. Um, we, we we've talked about the Kennedy assassination, key event, crisis in America uh, that you have shown Bush connections, uh, possibly very strong connections there. We talk about Watergate, a key crisis for America. Where there's behind the scene activities of Bush that were not disclosed to the public. We have the Reagan assassination. Again, possible connections there that just happen to be in strategic positions, um, unthinkable uh, coincidences there. Now we have some people, these nutty conspiracy theorists, that say possibly a, a Bush led administration did not tell Americans everything about what happened on 911. Is that a stretch that people should maybe? Look at a pattern and and wonder if, in fact, like many of the the nine one one commissioners who who resigned and discussed, that maybe we weren't totally told everything that went on regarding that as well
1: well listen i I think that um, any intelligent person uh, keeps an open mind about everything, and I think they look for patterns and they understand that there is complexity in the world uh, that is uh, beyond uh, uh, that with which we we can relate in our own lives um, uh, certainly uh, when I uh, looked at 9-11 and I live in New York City and I actually was down there when the towers collapsed uh, reporting uh, for the Los Angeles Times uh, you know I've asked myself how is it possible that something so such a big operation was pulled off so perfectly I was standing there when building 7 collapsed the way it did uh, it's When you take all of that and you take this history, it's understandable that people are frustrated and feel that there has been some kind of a cover-up. I myself, because I haven't had an opportunity to do the kind of extensive research that would be required, uh, uh, you know, have not formed an opinion. What I think, uh, and I wouldn't do that because I'm the same way about everything. Until I've gathered the evidence, uh, I, I, I won't. Uh, I won't say uh, this is what happened because I don't know. I will say that people have a basis for being suspicious of their government, uh, uh, irrespective of what the event is. No matter. How- or how large
3: it is. Well, that's a very responsible answer. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the the reason why you know I bring this up is, is I understand that you you talk about family associations and businesses. My understanding is that that same period of time, the Bush family were meeting with the Bin Laden family, uh, and were even involved in in having them leave at this particular time. We haven't made this issue a big deal on well, our no. show, and haven't talked about it. But given what you've laid out historically, to me, it makes one of the strongest cases. For us, to even responsible people out there that don't want to be, exaggerate, to really suspect, to want to ask some hard questions about this key event in world history that changed world history, changed the role of these figures like Rumsfeld and Cheney that you mentioned, uh, the whole direction of our country itself and the rest of the world, that it would be reasonable to assume that we should dig deeper, correct?
1: That's right. I mean, basically nothing should be off the table uh, when it comes to uh, – examination of our country's history. you know this kind of subject. You know, calling for looking at, let's say, that commission to see how thorough their their job was about how well questions were answered. That's all appropriate. And and by the way, uh, again, an, another topic in family of secrets. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I've got chapter and verse on the Bush family relationship with the Saudis. A lot of this is new material, uh, never published before anywhere, and it is about the relationship. Uh, of a uh, friend of the Bush family uh, who appears to have been put in business with uh, two of the wealthiest Saudi families, one one of the top banking families, the other the Bin Laden construction uh, family, uh, and and this appears to again have been arranged uh, by a uh, Poppy Bush at the time that he was CIA director. So there are all kinds of relationships there that we don't uh, we don't fully consider. Um, and again, this doesn't necessarily mean that anybody was in league with Osama, who, to be fair, uh, was uh, uh, essentially cut off by his family. But it explains a little bit of the background and the complexities and the alliances, uh, you know, that exist mm. and that complicate things.
3: Mm-hmm. But now, Osama was a CIA agent or ha- had cooperation with the CIA up to that point in time, correct?
1: Well, that that's correct. I mean, the the uh, the entire uh, 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 movement. Uh, a fundamentalist movement uh, in, in many respects, uh, as it is is currently constituted, has its roots uh, in policy begun by the United States government in order to stalemate the Soviets and trap them in Afghanistan, right. another whole interesting subject. Uh, this was uh, largely begun uh, actually under Carter by Zbigniew Brzezinski. Uh, but uh, yes, absolutely. Um, those, they, right. they, they trained and, uh, and, and, and armed uh, the same people who ended up being mm-hmm. our, our number one enemies. Mm-hmm.
3: Used our weapons. Well, you made me feel better mentioning Brzezinski. At least we have him there Whew. looking over us in the current administration. The
1: other dark Sith Lord. That
3: we've been able to keep some of these guys involved. Uh, moving on to the last s- segment of our show, um, I'd like to focus a little bit on something that cuts a little closer to home in our audience. Uh, and that is um, – and, and, and we'll explore other facets of George W. Bush this last segment. But one that I want to make sure we get in is this whole religious conversion experience that was such an important factor for our evangelical listeners. Uh, although I, I had my suspicions about him early in his run, uh, once the the other preferred characters to Canada started winnowing out – uh, it, it got pretty tight uh, as far as the selections. And of course, it's that whole left-right paradigm where where we're sold to go for the lesser of two evils. Uh, but regarding his religious awakening, can you give us some insight on your research that might change our view of the history of that whole change in his life?
1: Sure. Um, I want to refer your listeners uh, to Chapter 19 of Family of Secrets. It's called The Conversion, and it is entirely on this subject. There are so many nuances that that I I do urge people to actually uh, go through this very very carefully and see what they think. Uh, I don't consider myself an expert uh, on, on 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 these areas, and so I approached it more uh, as a reporter. Uh, but some of your listeners may understand more some more of the nuances of how this played out, but I can tell you this um, uh the Bush family uh was always interested in uh as all politicians are how you get elected and um I tell the story in this chapter uh where I interviewed uh a man named doug weed and doug uh uh is uh, uh the son of a i want to say Pentecostal minister. Uh, and he uh, uh, has been very active with all kinds of religious causes and all with uh, motivational speaking and with advising uh, uh, political figures. And uh, Doug and I spent a whole day together, and he showed me a lot of documents. Uh, he had gotten to know the father, H.W. Uh, or Poppy Bush, uh, uh, early on uh, and in, in the Reagan administration. Ronald Reagan had picked up most of the evangelical vote uh, in, in, in 1980, just as Jimmy Carter, interestingly, had in 1976, being, of course, born again himself. Uh, a very devout man. Uh, and, and Poppy Bush really was seen as this sort of not very religious, uh, uh, uh you know, Episcopal, uh, fellow.
3: It's Dr. Future back at Future Quake. With Tom Burt Monroe, Bionic. Burt Monroe. Yeah, that's right. Very, Fast. world's fastest man. Uh, and any comments? None. Let's talk, let's talk about Merv. Merv. Merv, tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake.
5: Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we guys say
3: goodbye. Bye. Uh, come back to the last installment tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Ciao.
0: Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.
3: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And we must hurry because this is the last installment with Russ Baker, author of A Family of Secrets, mm-hmm. talking about the shocking revelations of the Bush dynasty. So, no further ado, here's Russ Baker, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Uh, uh,
1: Doug Weed was sort of brought in to advise the family on how they could ad- attain better credentials. And um, I was very interested in this because he began working with and meeting with uh, uh, Poppy Bush. Uh, and then had, took an official position in his White House, uh, and he prepared these lengthy memos about uh, about uh, religious uh, 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 fundamentalist movements in this country, uh, values and ways of speaking to these to this uh, to this sector. Uh, and so, um, so Doug Weed was very, very deep in that and uh, one of the things I wondered was well, what's the timing with George W. Bush's uh, the year in which he supposedly uh, suddenly uh, found his way uh, and, uh, uh, and accepted Christ and so uh, I went back to try to time this thing out and just to, to cut to the chase uh, it's very, very clear that George W. Bush was receiving and reading these memos that were being sent to Poppy Bush and this was prior uh, to the year in which he says he, uh, he first saw the light.
3: Okay, so, uh, so our listeners understand this. You, you have written evidence that was recommending that he come up with some kind of experience like this to further his political aims that you have in your hand before the period of time that he said he had this experience.
1: That does not prove that he didn't have the experience, but the timing is interesting. Um, And there are a lot more details in there about that and about uh, their discussions on on the importance of this and how do you phrase things. There's a lot about the story that, uh, you know, they put out the story that Billy Graham, that there had been a walk on the beach, uh, and and W. was talking to him, and Billy Graham helped him see the light. Billy Graham himself says there was no such walk and talk uh and uh, there was another story circulating well let me make sure and, that
3: our listeners understood this is very important we, we have a statue of billy graham in downtown okay nashville there's a big statue he's pretty highly regarded uh by a lot of the christian leadership in our town the president bush said that he had this experience he's very specific about it with billy graham uh which i would think for both of them would be a very memorable experience almost like remembering where you were when kennedy was shot uh, they both had this memorable experience, but we have Billy Graham, who, you know, most people evangelicals believe is a reputable source, saying that he doesn't re- recollect such an event. Is that what you said? That's right. Okay.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: Pro- proceed. I'm sorry. Please
0: continue.
1: Yeah. Now, 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 as importantly. Uh, You have to look at what was going on. I mean, uh, I go extensively in Family of Secrets into the whole question of George W. Bush's military service record, which is extremely important and still unresolved. And we know that, uh, and one of the things I talk about is how what happened to uh, CBS and Dan Rather uh, basically convinced most of the media to just forget about pursuing this question of a commander-in-chief who himself may have skipped out on two years of mandatory service during the Vietnam War, obviously a very legitimate issue, uh, considering that he took us into Iraq, uh, that a lot of people were dying there. Uh, uh, all of this is, 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 is appropriate to look at, and uh, uh, during this whole period, um, uh, uh, you know, so you go back and you see that that there are questions about what he did back in the in the 70s in terms of his military service. You then look at his businesses, the failures of the businesses, very very strange companies that kept rescuing him, companies with Saudis and ties to the Shah of Iran and. The dictator Ferdinand Marcos in the Philippines is enough to make your head spin. But I, in family secrets, I, I go into detail after detail after detail on this stuff. So here's a guy of business failure, uh, uh, some sort of a failure in his, as a flyer during. During the war, he appears to disappear from his unit. Uh, He uh, is alleged to have uh, problems with the bottle, uh, all these other things. He has no distinguished record at all. And Suddenly, it's the mid-'80s. His father is getting ready to run for president, and the son, who is a key advisor, and consulted to his father suddenly begins cleaning up his act he goes to Colorado springs which i know is a very important uh symbolic place uh mm-hmm. for uh, uh, for conservative christians right. uh he goes there and he it's his birthday they tell this story that one you know he has dinner with his friends and the next morning he wakes up with a hangover and he resolves never to drink again well i think it's quite possible he- never to drink again. But that was a calculated, it appears, a political decision for the Bush family. That he had to clean his act up because A, he his father was going to be running for president. He was the eldest son with the same name. He was going to be one of his top advisors and he was already himself uh, dreaming of a political office. He had, you know, he had already sought unsuccessfully uh, a congressional seat from Texas himself in the 1970s. And so he decided he had to clean himself up. So we have the story of the ending drinking. We have the story of the walk and talk on the beach with Billy Graham. We have all of these things, and boom, he's a new man, and he's good to go.
3: I'm sure you've heard the story, um, and, and he, re- he uh, related this when, when he was interviewing you, Dr. Stan Monteith. He's told it several times. But he, he was part of a delegation of, I believe, 25 of the top evangelical leaders in the country, uh, most all the other ones household names uh, that, that lead these main groups, that were, that were brought in and organized to basically take a look-see at George W. and confirm, give their author the authorization that he was this changed man, and to get them on board. And Dr. Stan mentions that he and one other person there could sort of see through what was being said and could tell that it was insincere, by by every uh, back feeler that they had, you know, of discernment. Uh, but but these kind of things evidently were organized to to try to get the the religious element on board where where his father had failed to try to make corrections. Is that what you see
1: well that's what everything points to i mean there's more than that uh, uh, according to weed uh... the the, the, um, the father's campaign actually had spies in pat robertson's campaign you know the, the pat robertson <laughs> running against the father uh, they had these spot these people who were not really for robertson who were robertson supporters and then all of a sudden they all announced that we're switching to poppy bush you know i mean uh you, you see a pattern here and it's very very cynical and deeply troubling because uh in this country we have this you know what do they call that the culture war you know between right uh, between uh, Christians and, and, and non-Christians or between believers and non-believers mm-hmm. and between left and right and everything. And I think a lot of this is fabricated. I think that when it comes down to it, when you invite somebody over for dinner and you talk to them, I don't care if they're a, 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 you know, from one end of Christianity to the other or they're Jewish or they're a Muslim or whatever they are, we just start talking to people and you talk to them about, do they want to protect their family? Right. Do they want a relationship with their neighbors? Do they raise their children to be honest and work hard. That this is uh, uh, true of, of, of all people, and so these battles where we're all at each other's throats, uh, a lot of these, when you really study it, you find out that these are calculated, uh, what I call psyops, the term psychological right. operations, by very powerful people who want everybody to take their eye off the ball. Which is who's running things and is this good or bad for all of us?
3: Well, well Russ, you said it better. Yeah, that's a yeah. common theme on our show. What you just said, Russ, and. Um, I come from a very uh, Bible-based evangelical background. I didn't have politics shoved in my throat by my family, but I was immersed in a culture that was definitely a a certain persuasion. Our show began on – not on this current station, which would definitely probably be more that inclination, but our future quake began on a station that was run by extreme left-wing persons uh, here in this town. Uh, That was my first exposure – to people like this, and I, what I found was, was that they had many of the same concerns I had, the ones you mentioned. Concern about the welfare of, of families, our children, that they would be safe, that all people would be taken care of. May disagree on whether the government was the best person to accomplish it, but, but the idea that everyone in the community would be taken care of and that virtues would be supported were common, and it became more and more clear that we were being set up by leaders on the left and right. That, that picked our battles for us and chose the battles that would be innocuous, keep us distracted while they did their very business. Um, w- w- one other Bush of, of, of real interest is, is Neil Bush, and I don't know how much you've done with him. We mentioned about this... Uh, Meeting supposedly with with Hinckley's brother uh, that was that was supposed to occur. Uh, we've uh, we've also heard stories about how he actually was on the board of the security team at the World Trade Center. He actually was was uh, one of the guys operating it. So there's a lot of yeah, directions Marvin, you can yeah, go. Marvin Bush. But but something I discovered in my old files, and Russ, I don't know if you know anything about this, was very bizarre. And this has a religious component to it. Was that for some reason he was selected along with Cardinal Ratzinger. Who is now the Pope uh, Benedict? Uh, a number of years ago, to form this worldwide ecumenical group called the Interreligious and Intercultural Research and Dialogue Group, uh, headquartered out of Geneva. Uh, it's it's what's interesting is that their mission they say is to actually publish the original world Bible text of the monotheistic religions in their original languages. But in their their filing for their organization, it says they're a non-religious group. Uh do you know anything about this group and and what is going on? I I just checked. They they are still active. They're still doing things in this vein. Uh do you know anything about them?
1: Boy, I sure don't, but you know there's there I come across uh, intriguing uh leads like that all the time. I mean, that may be utterly benign. It right, be. right. Yeah. Sure. Uh, entirely possible, although I have to say if Neil Bush is involved, you wonder, because this is a fellow who's a 'er ne'er-do-well who uh, was involved uh, uh, was, you know, got in trouble with the law about his improper dealings uh, during the savings and loan uh, scandal. I Mm. mean, he Involved in enriching himself improperly, uh, taking improper loans, insider information, all kinds of things, uh, while his father, you know, was the president. Um, uh, so he's not a, a stellar example of moral values, and it, 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 it's it's one wonders why he would be a chosen to be part of, of, of such a thing.
3: They tried to pick the, some of the top most esteemed leaders in the world. Uh, I think at the time, Colonel Ratson's Ratzinger had the position of the chief inquisitor of the Vatican. That was the title he had before he was moved up to Pope. But why did they have an association? Uh, also uh, leading um, a Muslim uh, leaders like Prince Hassan of Jordan was part of this group. Uh, other facets, even Eastern Orthodox Church and others, were part of this group. And it just seems like a bizarre curiosity that they would associate themselves with Neil
1: Bush. Now, I mean, my guess would be, and I have no basis for this other than logic, that they were looking for uh, the uh, some sort of imprimatur from a presidential family, and that was the best they could get. Hmm,
3: maybe. Hmm. And, and if our listeners come across this, I'd like to know further what, what you all find in this area. Um, from your research... Can you tell – and this this is your opinion, okay? I wanted some commentary from you based upon the research, and uh, we're going to distance your, your, your uh, opinion from that of the hard data you've shared to date. From your research, can you tell if this family and its legacy perceives themselves as having some kind of destiny in America or some kind of mystical calling or something like that? Have you come across any writings or reason to believe that they see themselves as some deeper calling?
1: You know – I've asked myself the question in all the time I was working on this and I do with everything I look into the the question is why uh and and this is actually why I how, the, the way I named our nonprofit investigative reporting site who what why with the emphasis on the why because of course in journalism you're told to uh, every story should say who what when where why and how and so mm-hmm. who what why, and the same thing in this instance why uh, why do they do the things that they do um, i, I don 't know the answer i'd like to continue researching it. I certainly was fascinated uh, with the um, uh, the role that many of these people have in uh, various types of secret societies which uh, uh, appear to identify themselves with what they what they perceive as ancient heroic strains running through history, and so some of these people are members of groups that identify themselves with the Knights Templar, uh, through the Catholic order, the Knights of Malta, or, or through, uh, uh, through 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 um, high level you know Scottish Rite masonic circles and what have you. Uh, how you justify doing? So many of the horrific things to humankind that these that, that these, uh, uh, that these uh, individuals in these uh, in these networks uh, end up perpetrating uh, i don 't know um, they have found some way to justify what they do, but of course you know everybody justifies in their mind some reason that they 're not bad
3: mm-hmm. right well, you know just uh, some things come to mind, for example, in an inauguration address from George W. Bush talked about that there was a calling to an ancient destiny, a uh, fire in the hearts of men, a destiny that is still to be fulfilled. And there's there's folks like Chris Pinto and others who have award-winning documentaries done, like Riddles and Stone of the New Atlantis, that track this belief system that was also uh, validated by the Librarian of Congress that wrote Fire in the Hearts of Men, which was quoted by him in his inaugural address. Uh, and and uh, the gentleman who was the Librarian of Congress wrote that these uh, occult secret societies of Western Europe really had more to do with the founding of our country and this general mission than the Enlightenment itself, which is interesting from a person of his position to say, and uh, that these quotations were taken directly out of this. So I think that would be very interesting territory for you to pursue, uh, to look at gentlemen like Chris Pinto's doc- uh, documentary, his research, and others, to find out that there is a connection to this platonic The desire to spread democracy around the world, which certainly would help explain what we see happening in Iraq and elsewhere, Uh, it's it's not something that that evangelical Christians would expect. It it takes a little different direction.
1: We're we're, we're, we're complex uh, creatures, and. However, you identify yourself, you may be an evangelical Christian, but you could also be a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, you could be in management or in uh, in labor. Uh, you could be you're, you could be a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of these people are a lot of different things. And so what you're talking about is entirely possible that some of them uh, share these belief systems. Some may share them more than others. Right. Some may not have them at all. People form all kinds of alliances for lots of different reasons. And I think that's why what I tend to do is err on the side uh, uh, of caution in in, in trying mm-hmm. to pull out a, a powerful and simple uh, explanation for what is mm-hmm. probably fairly complex.
3: But when you bring this hard data out that you've laid forward before us, it allows enlightened individuals that care to know. You give them the raw data they have to form their own conclusions, and that's probably one of the best things you can do in the spirit of journalism. In, in closing here, I um, do, do you find anything troubling at all with the current administration we have? At first pass, people would say this has changed, this is a radically new departure. Is there anything that's sort of keeping your eyebrow raised for future research about what's happening now?
1: I think the most striking thing of all is, that, uh, is the incredibly narrow range of options that a person entering the White House uh, begins with and uh, uh, people all over the world are fascinated by this because if you look at other countries if they had the shenanigans that went on on Wall Street going on in their country uh, they start taking all kinds of measures and in fact other countries do have much uh, uh, sterner measures uh, to, to address these kinds of things uh, they, the people get toppled you know they're the same people who ran run many of those uh, banks and what have you are still on top uh, the uh, you know and in terms of our military policy. Let's say it's basically largely the same as it was under George Mm -hmm. W. Bush. You have many of the same uh, a general still in charge. You even have the same defense secretary continuing, Robert Gates, who uh, is very, very close—not just with George W., but he was very close with George W.'s father, and he was a former CIA director. Now he's uh, continuing to be the Secretary of Defense under Obama. So uh, I think that without judging Obama, and I and I take him at his word. I think he uh, his his instincts are very, very different from George W. Bush's. I think his worldview is, and I think uh, he is. Uh, much less uh, of, an, uh, of an exclusionist uh, uh, and and and, uh, 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 and and has very different uh positions on things ranging from uh whether there is a problem with climate change and what to do about that uh to the proper role uh, of government in regulating uh, 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 excesses uh, uh by corporations so I think he is very very different but I think that in these major areas we'll about where the biggest things are at stake, he finds himself with very, very little room to move. And that right. seems to me incredibly troubling.
3: Well, let me, let me just summarize because I know you need to go. But something we didn't get to talk about that's a conclusion that I think you have supported in your other interviews is that what becomes clear through these activities of the CIA and other groups is that we have an overt leadership through the president that, that you're alluding to, that where we actually get to elect, put something in that has supposedly far-reaching position and power through the executive branch to conduct things. But then we have these handlers, and some of the handlers can just be staffers or other people that stay when the administrations come and go, that really write the policy in smoke-filled rooms. But then you have groups like the CIA and others who apparently, it appears, have independent agendas that are not laid before the American people, that are not addressed at the ballot box. And they, whether they think they have a virtuous caretaker role or are or, or often within them, you have many agendas that happens between subgroups within these. It becomes apparent that uh, they, are, they are the group that never gets thrown out of office. They're the bums that never get thrown out and that they are the ones that are defining the constraints that you're talking about. I know that's a little clumsy summary, but is that the gist of what you see going on?
1: Well, I, I do. I think that's very important. Look, in every institution, I don't care if it's in your church or, or in your workplace, uh, if you've been there a long time, you have your own power center and you have your own sense of how the place ought to run. And if a new boss comes in for a while, you're not necessarily, maybe you are, but a lot of people aren't necessarily going to say, terrific, there's a new boss, let me figure out how to do whatever he or she wants to get it done. That's not how we're constructed, and so that may be okay to some extent uh, uh on a, on a on a more localized level. It becomes deeply troubling when you're talking about the the running of what is still the most powerful democracy in the world and and I think that that it's absolutely imperative that we begin discussing these things, that we open our eyes that we learn more about history and and understand the context of what is unfolding right now and and you know forget about all the yelling on cable TV but find out what's really going on mm-hmm. in a. Deep because even though it sometimes seems depressing to confront this stuff, the alternative, which is being in the dark and being a victim of this, is much, much worse.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: When
1: you when you empower yourself with information, uh, uh, you begin to empower yourself in every respect in your life.
3: Right, and I think we would agree here that evangelical Christians need to be part of that solution of coming to the table as being responsible Put down citizens. Put pick being, up right, the coffee. Being responsible citizens, that's right, and, and also admit when we've been had. Uh, all Americans can be had, particularly when we we want to embrace an ideal and somebody feeds our ideal uh, but but we don 't see the other side of it, and sometimes we 're blinded uh, by the light sometimes in these things so uh, in in conclusion, since we I want to just walk out with something positive here, based upon everything you 've learned, can you give us any hints that you 've picked up on a more intelligent and wiser way to pick our political candidates? For our individual listeners, from what they've learned here, are there some things that we need to look out for, and and is there anything that you think is a more positive thing we can do to have at least a better shot of someone who's more honest with the American public?
1: Well, I think the first thing – and you hear this – time and again, at least in private conversation with members of, of Congress, is that they say, gee, you know, I'd like to do a better job for, uh, for the public, but the fact is simply I can't because if I don't raise enough money and keep these guys happy and continue to give me money, I'm out and I can't do any good at all. So I would say uh, you know, whether money is the root of all evil, it's certainly the root of most evil uh, when it comes to politics and governance. And I think the single main thing we could probably do is all work toward creating some kind of a system uh, where our campaigns are not determined by money and and that does require some kind of a system that they have in in, in many of the countries where there is a cap and where uh, everybody basically gets to spend about the same amount of money and make their arguments and that already does a tremendous tremendous goes a tremendous distance in terms of cleaning these people up and it means that when they get to Washington uh, they don't as Barack Obama does have to accept that half of all the money he raised came from Wall Street mm-hmm. if that's not the case you come in with a, with an entirely different set of parameters
3: mm-hmm. well you know another uh, venues that we've explored here on our show as is, is we Summarize here is that we've often explored the fact of trying to reduce the size of government because of the innate corruption and the fact that corporate interest by the candidates frequently they, that they get, try to minimize the impact on those of us out here in the public by minimizing the size of the playground they have and the piece of the pie that they can rule over our lives and try to decentralize and push more of these these uh, activities down to our local governments where we can actually have a more direct role, decentralize the power so you can't have families that come in and steer a large ship uh, with everyone. Uh, you, You still have the issue with corporate domination, and Christians need to be more aware of that and acknowledge that. But a lot of that can be controlled by our own personal decisions, by our own personal decisions of what our families buy, what we choose to purchase, how much of the system we choose to support. But we need to have these kind of dialogues, and I want to thank you for your honest reporting Mm -hmm. and just let you know that you're welcome back here anytime, Russ. I hope you found this a, a place where you can do something constructive. When you come back and share your information with us. And I want you to tell our listeners again how they can get your book. I consider it essential reading as well as uh, what they need to pass on to their friends. And also how they can get a hold of your website to have another independent source of news. And I hope you give us permission to quote in our news segments from that website as well. So please give us that information in closing.
1: Sure. Uh, well, it's been a great pleasure to be on the show. Uh, I think your your questions and your comments have been very, very interesting and very useful, and I've enjoyed it. Uh, the, uh, the book is called Family of Secrets. My name is Russ Baker, R-U-S-S-B-A-K-E-R. It is out in hardcover, uh, and it is also going to be available in paperback uh, within a couple of weeks. Uh, um, and... Um, Uh, We have a website, familyofsecrets.com. You can go to that site and there's a link from there that will take you uh, to uh, Amazon and and I believe other sites where you can purchase the book or you can support your local bookstore. Go in there and order it there. I I I tend to like to support local uh, bookstores.
4: Mm -hmm. Um, And
1: then uh, we have the nonprofit – who what dot com if you go to the site you'll see it's really just a placeholder we just have a little bit on there right now we're trying to raise money from public so that we can hire up a staff top-notch investigative reporters, and continue to do on a regular basis the sort of work that I did uh, in Family of Secrets. And so we're hoping that people who hear these sorts of interviews respond and say, hey, I'll go there. And you know what? Even in tough times, I can give $20 a month or whatever it is. Because, again, this is the secret. When the public supports things, and this is what you were just alluding to, when the public is directly involved in things, just by definition, it's a whole lot better.
3: Mm-hmm. That's exactly yeah. right. And if you don't mind, we'll put those links up uh, next to your show here, Archive if Future. Quake.com. Uh And uh, uh, can we can we cite your news stories here when we do our news reports here? Oh, sure. Okay. Well, we'll certainly do that to let people know about it. And uh, those of you who care about uh, truth and independent reporting, Christians in our audience, it would be a good idea if you went over there and made a donation to that. And just give it in Jesus' name. Uh Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and if someone uh he was is, not
2: the he was not the cigar filled smoky back room
3: <laughs> right if if someone's looking for truth, even though they may have differences than us in different ways, we need to promote truth in every factor that we know how to, and that would be a good way to do it is to support people like Russ Baker, who's being very responsible in the information that he shows uh he 's doing it in a way that, that can be constructive, and we thank you and would you hurry up and write another book and come back on our show?
1: I'd be delighted. Thank you very
3: much. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Thanks. Baker, and thanks again. We're back at Future Quake with Doctor Future and Tom Frozen Bionic. Yes, a little cold in the studio here,
5: Mrs. Future, keeping it cold.
3: Mm-hmm. But someone who was warming to you is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake.
5: Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. during the radio broadcast.
3: Okay, that's it. That's it. We'll comment on this tomorrow and tomorrow's tremors. Till then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day.
0: Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake.
3: Welcome to the FutureQuake Show. I am Dr. Future.
2: And I am Tom. Didn't know I was getting into mountain warfare training here, coming into the studio, but apparently so.
3: Hey, we're trying to do our part for global warming here. We've turned the temperature <laughs> down in the FutureQuake studios. Ladies and gentlemen, it's wonderful to be with you. You, you icicles you, on the you, of the windows. You certainly warm our hearts, even if the studio it's doesn't. Send
4: blankets!
3: <laughs> well, today's Friday, which means what, Tom Bionic?
2: Um, is it the day that we turn on the heat?
3: No, I know that's wishful thinking on your behalf. <laughs> that's called springtime. Yeah. Now this is this is
2: tomorrow's tremors or today's review of the future's news.
3: This is the big one, Elizabeth. <laughs> I'm coming to Georgia. <laughs> there will be a note have, made by historians. Coming to Georgia for you. <laughs> you what know, else? Fred Sanford always said that. This will be noted by future quick historians. Mark this down in your logs, futurians. That he said it correctly. It is tomorrow's tremors or today's review of the Futures News. And I know why. It's because the cold has set in, and he's deliriously accurate in his
2: No, I just want you to to turn the heat on, so I figure if I could just didn't
4: provoke (laughs) you.
3: (laughs) Well, if you can can open up those uh, frozen lips, could you give us a reporting on your recent experience this last weekend? Oh, yeah. Where did you go? What did you do? Well, I went up to uh, Mansfield,
2: Ohio, as they say it, Ohio. Around, Ohio. Well, they say it around here. Yeah. I don't say it like that quite up there. But uh, went up to Mansfield, there, Ohio, and um, uh, I participated a, as a uh, you know just as a student uh, in the uh, demolishing spiritual strongholds conference put on by a, a, a really nice gentleman, young about my age, younger mm-hmm. guy, um, uh, the, kind of the host, the the big speaker that weekend was Russ Dizdar, who we've had on this show. Think I've heard of him. Yep. It was uh, Russ Distar, and it was a very interesting mix of people. Um,
3: if Russ was there, it was probably pretty boring content. You know, it?
2: very very back to the Bible kind of mm-hmm, yeah. Coral Ridge Ministry stuff.
3: Okay, so what was it really about?
2: Well, it was about demolishing spiritual spiritual strongholds. There were a number of sessions. We had a gentleman speak uh, at the first. Uh, uh, Who talked about? He's he was part of the Centennial Group actually, which is a group that goes around and uh, investigates different. Uh, uh, different uh, cities and even even countries in some cases that dramatically turn to the Lord and they see uh, not only incredible revival spiritually, but it actually helps and revive the land and stuff. It's very interesting.
3: The Centennial Group. Yes, that's an intriguing yeah name of a group. It's a guy named a
2: uh, gentleman named George Otis, whom I heard his name, but I don't know anything about hmm. about him. Okay, uh, but they go around and they do a lot of different things. One of the things they did was look at this. Um, uh look at the Fijian Islands. Um where are they? Fiji.
3: Fijian, okay. I've never heard it yeah. referred Fijian. to that way. Well
2: it's a I mean it's not just one island.
3: You mm-hmm. know. Right.
2: Um but they they you know they had lots of problems uh, historically with cannibalism and all this mm-hmm. stuff and they turned
3: I've seen a documentary on this. Oh really? Yes. And um it is very inspirational.
2: Yeah that even it, it's interesting 'cause even the prime minister saying, you know, there was no way out of our troubles. We had to turn to God, mm-hmm. and uh, we turned to God. And what has happened in our country and our communities
3: is nothing short. Only God could do this. And they believed there was a cloud of spiritual cults and stuff like that that mm-hmm. actually, again, affected even the crops.
2: Yeah, yeah. They 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 had one particular uh, village that was, I guess, kind of remote. Um, they they did a an elaborate ceremony. Um, you know, of repentance to the Lord about different things and mm-hmm. um they hadn't seen this fish called the Koto fish in fifty years. And they went in and the for the first day, you know, scientists thought it was extinct. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Cousteau had said fishes, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't exist anymore. That fish, the same day that they did that thing, they went out to fish and somebody caught one. First mm-hmm. time in fifty years. And then the next day they went out and they caught three 000,
3: mm-hmm. Which is um Well, let let me say something. I've I've seen this, and the information is very uh, inspirational. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure we don't go as far as like the the Joel's Army kind of people. No. That we will eventually conquer the whole world. Uh, We know the Bible says what will happen. But there's no reason within a region or an area we can promote, either in our own community or somewhere else, a time of renewal. And God really doesn't sure. work well, and that's, in areas and places. Yeah, the thing isn't going
2: in and conquering some world, for, you know, some country for the Lord, you know, with bombs and tanks and guns or everything. It right. has to be a matter of the heart. And this, these communities were willing to, you know, change their heart, mm-hmm. you know, formally mm-hmm. recognize it.
3: Did anybody at the conference uh, recognize you or ever huh. hear a future Boy, that quake? that was the
2: funny thing, man. Uh, we, they turns out just about everybody there was huge future quake listeners. Yay. Um, we'll give a call to you all out there yeah. if you were. The yeah. in the class was it? We really and I I tell you guys you I really appreciated that. I went there just thinking I was going to learn something about some different ministries that I'm involved in, some stuff that maybe I needed to know about. Right. And uh, uh, it was just a warm. I was just warmly received uh, by everybody there before and after. You know, mm-hmm. it was great to really meet Russ Dizdar as well. He was, I was going to ask you how a that really, went. really great man of God. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. it's really obvious that you know he prays about stuff and he cares about people. And this ministry isn't about as crazy as his ministry is, it's mm-hmm. not about, you know, showy. Right. It's just about him. I found him to be a very humble man. I was with him this summer. It's a ministry of of caring and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And that's how he views it, I believe.
3: Yeah, when well, the Lord's hand is on you, because your ministry right now, even at its early stages, this new, new thing uh, is growing. And so yeah. look forward to hearing from him yeah, in the it's future. it's kind of like
2: the book of Acts, to tell, tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. There's been some really interesting things. Only on, on a
3: all. larger scale. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any anything
2: else uh, um, coming up? It rained a lot. Rained a lot. <laughs> it rained a lot there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a great. It, overall, it was a really great. It was a really great experience. Um, uh, met a lot of really interesting people. Uh, met a couple of former uh, um, police officers who actually work in the same thing, and were going there for hmm. um, training. You know, Christian, Christian right. gentlemen. Right. And uh, uh, there were a couple of people here who decided they were kind of. They felt the need to work in this area. And another gentleman was actually uh, working in that area actively with the help of Russ and some other people, mm. sort of forming his own Shatter the darkness. Well, praise know, the thing. Lord. Yeah, it's
3: very, very interesting. Praise the Lord. And, mm. and as we document on the show, uh, there's no better time than now for intervention like this to be going on. Yeah. Really, mm-hmm. if I can give you a little trip report about myself, yeah. this weekend it was a big weekend for both of us. Uh, I was at the uh, Radio Liberty conference with Doctor Stan Monteith. Oh man, That's Out cool. in your stomping grounds, oh, I know. It was out in the greater Santa Cruz area. I'm glad I went to the Mansfield
2: one because if I would have went to the Santa Cruz one, I would have had to rent a surfboard.
3: That oh, was that right? Yeah, yeah. I
2: couldn't couldn't have stood it. I, just,
3: I got <laughs> loved to have a picture of Tom Bionic, uh, cur- you know, shooting a curl on the front <laughs> of Futurequake.com. Um, Got to meet some really cool people. Not only yeah. Doctor Stan, who mm-hmm. that was the main reason I went, was just to express my gratitude to him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's eighty-one years old, mm-hmm. and he has been faithfully since I think what ninety-one or something doing his radio show, which is like five hours every oh, day. I thought
2: it was longer than that. I thought he was way back in the Well, 80s. I know
3: his study has gone on that long. I'll have to go check and see. It's in the Precambrian era. I don't yeah. think they had a <laughs> movable printing. Okay, yeah, with type the nineties,
2: like eighteen ninety. Yeah,
3: but uh, he has been faithfully serving way before. You and I ever thought about doing anything mm-hmm. like this? Yeah. And uh, Tom Tom Horn was there. Oh, great. was very sick. But once he got there speaking, he just brought down the house. Very, very funny. But a lot of new information, stuff that has not been on Raiders. No. Oh, that he talked about some stuff from his book. Mm-hmm. He's, he told me that there would be a lot of stuff seen in the book that you'll be surprised to see. But somebody else who I met for the first time was, was uh, uh, William Grigg. Oh, great. Hey, it was really great to be here, and I met Corinne and the kids, and uh, they were just wonderful to see them. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, a lot of people hadn't been experienced with him, although he's often on Radio Liberty, mm-hmm. people had not heard him speak, and he made a huge impression. I bet. We had a former member of European Parliament who spoke, and uh, Catherine Albrecht mm, talked about yes. the spy chips. Mm-hmm. and technology and she said she'd like to come on our show here so, so it was her. great it was a great time it was really good very instructive kind of thing and mm-hmm. i know we got news but
2: did you eat at charlie hong kong's by chance
3: didn't really it was just really all business oh too bad really, i don't ever really stop and smell the roses on man, trips.
2: there's that place and uh, uh gordita burrito right around the corner from where i used to used mm. to live yeah, I guess Brance I'll have to turn around and go back. Yeah. I used to live over at the corner of Rance of Forty and Twelfth. Is that
3: right? Yeah, it was just a couple of blocks. I saw a, b- a black monument there. They actually had something on a yeah, pedestal. Yeah, like
2: somebody, somebody actually... Like there was somebody a bus was of you. From the, Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: From the wires This is a bionic festival. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, you got a story you want to do first, or me, or how you want to do um, it? I'll go. Okay. All right. Lay it on us. Houston, we have
2: a problem. Uh... This is a uh, actually a, a short letter uh, written by Bob Lemmer, Aubrey Aubrey M. Farb, and Tom Roberts that I got off of a uh, Misha site. Okay. I, I read this morning. And uh, good old Mish. Uh, yeah, we've talked several times about how uh, different countries are. You know, we're in serious financial straits, and some smaller communities uh, have gone broke. Well, the city of Houston um, here. I'll, well, I'll just read. The city of Houston is financially broke, and it appears that the mayor who takes office in January 2010 may have to captain the city through bankruptcy procedures. The city's unrestricted assets were $1.2 billion short of the already recorded corresponding liabilities these assets were needed to pay as, as of fiscal year end June 30th, 2008, according to the city's latest, latest publicly available audited comprehensive annual financial report. The $1.2 billion shortfall was a resulting... Was a result of operating losses totaling 1.5 billion for fiscal years 2004 to 2008, applying the full accru- accrual basis of accounting used in the private sector. So, hmm. uh, these that's,
3: big, that's one of the biggest cities in the country.
2: Yep, and they're saying that it is financially
3: broke. You hmm. want you want to you want money, Houston? Sorry, don't have any. So it. So, is like Detroit looking to be like one of the more lucrative places right now compared to these other cities? Yeah, like.
2: Places like, uh, uh, you know, Angola and stuff have more hmm. have a more balanced budget.
3: Well, speaking of that, we've been sending so many so much money out to other countries to mm-hmm. rebuild their infrastructure. It mm-hmm. uh, looks like we're going to be a third world country here pretty soon. Is that the...
2: That's the gist of it. I'll uh, skip down a paragraph here. The city is in... The city is in this dangerous financial position because its total spending since fiscal year 2003 has greatly outstripped its total revenues in that period. And the rate of growth in the city's total revenue since 2003 has, in turn, greatly outstripped the city's rate of growth in population plus inflation. Thus, the city's problems are a result of greatly overspending and not a result of insufficient revenues. All of this occurred before the current severe recession. Now the city has has the added burden of the recession uh the city is in a real financial dilemma because it's because now its two principal sources of general funds are in trouble sales taxes and property taxes uh it appears to us that there may be no viable alternative to bankruptcy proceedings and thereby positioning the city to regain control over its overspending uh though addressing structural spending problems such as overstaffing and overly generous, generous employee benefits yeah
3: that's a big part of a lot of these big cities have outrageous uh like six-figure pay for most of the city employees, yeah. well, possibly almost as much in the retirement at well, an early age.
2: Well, I know that they, they were paying Houston police officers, not Houston, I'm sorry, Vallejo police officers, another city that went bankrupt, mm-hmm. very near where I grew up, actually. They were paying them, you know, like $150,000 a year to do their job.
3: Which is more than most CEOs yeah. of companies. Although not, to tell you the not, truth, I'm not minimizing the fact they're in harm's way. Okay, I don't mean that, but
2: although to tell you the truth, there's no way that I would be a CEO in Vallejo or a or a or a police officer or
3: a police officer. <laughs> well, uh, I'm expecting we'll have a lot more stories like that. Yeah, in the
2: days ahead. But that's a big that's a big deal right there.
3: Well, you know, I've seen on TV gang thing has gotten really big. Mm-hmm. Actually, some of the New Orleans gangs came over after Katrina. Hmm. And I don't know if they've ever gotten rid of those New Orleans gangs. They started having rumbles with it and it got to be really bad. Wow. So um if our oil industry goes down, that's gonna be a big another big hit to Houston. So
2: it'll be interesting to see what happens.
3: Well, would you like to hear at least a little weirdness to try to change the sure. space? You know, one thing on Future Quake, we like to be cutting edge, we like to give you the hot off the wire information. And this is this is no different. This is one circa April nineteen or two thousand five. Mhm. Um, and this is from yeah, it's still warm. Uh, it's from Newsday, uh, and uh, Associated Press, but related to what we just talked about, um, uh, the uh, the story that we've had about the Bush family. I found this in my archive. I don't think I ever got to do on the show here. Uh, and it basically the title is Neil Bush, which is George W. Bush's brother, mm-hmm. Cardinal Ratzinger, who's now the new Pope, Benedict, mm-hmm. co-founders of a foundation for interreligious and intercultural research. President's younger brother served with then Cardinal on board of relatively unknown ecumenical foundation. Okay, this is Dateline Washington. Neil Bush, uh, the president's controversial younger brother, six years ago joined The Cardinal, who this week became Pope Benedict XVI, again April 2005, Mm -hmm. as a founding board member of a little-known Swiss ecumenical foundation. The charter members of the board are all well-known international religious figures, except for Bush and his close friend and business partner, Jamal Daniel, whose family has extensive holdings in the United States and Switzerland, public records show. The Foundation for Interreligious and Intercultural Research and Dialogue was founded in Geneva, Switzerland in 1999 to promote ecumenical understanding and publish original religious text, said a foundation official. Sweet. Now this is just getting at me feeling like that triple IHS I went to. You know, yeah, it's getting a no similar kidding. thing. Okay. Besides then Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who I believe was filling the order of the Inquisition. <laughs> or the inqui- chief in- inquis- inquisitor of the Vatican. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Founding board members included Rene S- Samuel Surat, former chief rabbi of France, Jordan's Prince Hassan, a Muslim dedicated to religious dialogue, the late Prince Sadrun Aga Khan, another prominent Muslim, Olivier, uh, Olivier uh, Fatio, director of the Institute of the History of the Reformation, and foundation president Metropolitan Damaskinos, a Greek Orthodox leader. Uh, Gary Fauciacouras... Your guy's uh, name, first name was Metropolitan? No, that's his position. Oh. His office, religious office. Uh, a theologian and foundation official in Geno- uh, Geneva would not explain in a telephone interview yesterday why Bush, who has no clear public connection to religious causes, was on, was on the first board. He was interested at that particular time, said Fauciacouras of Bush. But like some other initial board members, Bush is no longer involved. Ratzinger also left a few years ago and was replaced by Archbishop Michael Fitzgerald, who was responsible for ecumenical relations with the Vatican. Still active is Daniel, a and this is his Bush's friend, uh-huh. a Syrian-American who is family active in the Orthodox Church in Geneva. This is an Orthodox layperson, he said. Uh, neither Bush, who is now president of the educational software company Ignite Learning, In Austin, Texas, nor Daniel returned calls. Uh, In his highly publicized divorce last year, Bush revealed he and Daniel are co chairs of Texas based Crest Investment Company, which pays them $60,000 a year from consulting. Recently, Crest investment officials used Bush's name as a reference in cutting an exclusive deal with Texas officials on construction of a liquid, liquid natural gas storage facility that will guarantee Crest payments of at least $2 million a year, according to the LA Times. In the divorce proceedings, Bush, this is Neil Bush, mm-hmm. also revealed that while he was in the hotel in Asia, women on at least three occasions came into his room and had sex with him. Uh, Daniel, <laughs> it uh, sounds you're like you laughing that kinda... women had sex with him?
2: No, it just sounds, the way that it's talked about is like he was just kind of laying there and he woke up and they were yeah. like standing in front of him.
3: Right. Uh, Daniel hosted Bush's second wedding at his home. Hmm. Now, I read other references about this. I looked up and it was in Bangkok. Which is sort of an, a weird place, Bangkok. I think that's where David Carradine went and was mm-hmm. killed in that weird Kua ritualistic Chang, thing. Oh, thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It says, um, Daniel reportedly became acquainted with Bush in 91, the year the Federal Office of Thrift Supervision sanctioned Bush for having multiple conflicts of interest in his role as director of Silverado Savings and Loan, a Colorado thrift whose failure cost taxpayers $1.3 billion. Bush paid $50,000 in the settlement. Of Sweet. the $1.3 billion we lost. Mm-hmm. The foundation, based at the Orthodox Center of the Ecumenical Patriarch- Patriarchate in Geneva, is listed by Dun & Bradstreet Business Credit Reports as a manage- management trust for purposes other than education, religion, charity, or research. Sweet. Okay, this ecumenical group is not listed. It's not for religion. But Vaki said the designation must be a mistake of translation to English, because the foundation is a private nonprofit established under Swiss law. He said the foundation is being relaunched on its mission to publish the original text of the Bible's Old Testament in Hebrew, its New Testament in Greek, and Quran in Arabic. Uh,
2: what kind of a mission is that? I can get on my, I can get on my free computer program and look at it.
3: Sounds like there's a story here. Unless yeah. they need a new translation with. Things saying like differently. A conservative Bible. Uh, <laughs> Faccio, who left the board three years ago, said the foundation never had any money, uh, which, you know, with Bushes, usually there's no money around there. Yeah. Uh, Faccio Curious declined yeah. to discuss finances. He said, We keep a low profile because that makes it easier to get work done. Strange. So you might want to look up this group Institute for Interreligious and Intercultural Research and Dialogue. Is that uh, three
2: eyes? <laughs> yeah, I'll
3: have to look that up. Uh yes, it's three eyes. Yeah. Uh, by the way, here's a description of it. It was established in Geneva, Switzerland, May ninety nine, uh taken by the Orthodox Center of Ecumenical Uh Patriarchate, uh and intra Christian and inter religious dialogue. Uh so it has uh, such dialogues in Athens, Constantinople, Amman and Jerusalem. The
2: triple IRD. Yeah. Awesome. There you go. I'm
3: gonna start calling them that now, the triple uh, IRD. Okay. Uh, and and I just looked up something right before we came on the show. That's a more recent thing. It's just a quick word on it. Okay. Um, where have I got it here? Uh, Let's see if this is it here. I'll look up and see if I've got the uh, the actual. Here it is. This was a a word document I got off the uh, thing. Um, it says um they were offering research assistance. You know, they have no money, Mm -hmm. but they're offering pretty big research assistance to. Uh, Ph.D. students mm-hmm. uh, to go over in University of Geneva. It says, to promote the this aim, the foundation offers research fellowships for the academic year 2009-2010. They will grant three fellowships to young researchers having a doctorate, a background in one of three monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and wishing to specialize in the field of interreligious and intercultural dialogue with a view to highlighting the inexhaustible spiritual resources so as to overcome the divisions existing in the world and ensure the peaceful coexistence of the peoples, social justice, and human rights. Sweet. Now, that definitely sounds like the IHs kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. And it says that they want to promote a deeper understanding of others' ways of thinking, uh, work out models for thought and action. Um, So, and to contribute to an interreligious, intercultural training of a generation of leaders called on to take strategic positions in the religious, social, and political spheres. So they have religious, social, and political spheres. They want to raise the new re- leaders mm-hmm. that basically believe what they believe. Mm,
2: great! I can't think of a better thing, really.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, Neil Bush is there to Neil Bush is there to look at when he's not having sex with uh, well, women in hotels. Well, you know that's they, why he's such a religious up, leader. Yeah, they
2: show up randomly in his hotel, apparently. <laughs> I don't know what happened. They were just here. So, there.
3: do you think there might be a story to this group? No,
2: I'm sure this is all very up and up.
3: Well, you know, the there Bushes are
2: very, very up and up with their. Uh, Sounds like stuff. you've been
3: listening to the show this week. By the way, I know we're getting to the end. Did you have any comments on that on the show this week? Uh,
2: I thought it was extremely good, and it's actually a lot of stuff that I've been reading about in other books and other other sources. And I'm glad that uh, we could have him on to cover that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so much of. What goes on, uh, especially with that family, the Bush family, um, so many people don't w- either don't want to hear about it or they don't know or they don't care, and on several occasions I've actually tried to bring some of the stuff up to people yeah
3: um, this is fighting words in a lot of evangelical communities mm-hmm. isn't it? to even broach this topic, even the stuff even B it. word
2: yeah. yeah, well little do they know that uh, Grandpa Bush tried to overthrow fDr father Bush ran the CIA and it seems that uh doesn't remember where he was when Kennedy was shot, and was working on the CIA payroll, and had mm-hmm. a company that was called Zapata, which was the name, mm-hmm. undercover name of the, uh, uh, you know, botched overthrow mm-hmm. of Cuba. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, are uh, you
3: giving them the Cliff Notes version on I mean, the show this week? Yes. And okay. then
2: G.W.B. Uh, yeah. uh, had a conversion experience with Billy Graham that Billy Graham doesn't remember.
0: Mm-hmm. And that was the understand. main
3: thing that Christians grabbed onto him mm-hmm. and what was going on. And there is a letter showing that that their uh, their family and their group organization was advised that he announced that he had such an experience mm-hmm. preferably with Billy Graham mm-hmm. to help get political support for him and yes. then he reported afterwards that this happened.
2: Yes, correct. Okay. All right.
3: Well, do you have a story? Yeah, a, a brief one.
2: Yeah. Armed Walid Karzai, this is from the New York Times, CIA is involved with Afghan drug uh, drug trade. Amid Waleed Karzai, the brother of Afghan president and a suspected player in the country's booming illegal opium trade, gets regular payments from the Central Intelligence Agency and has for much of the past eight years, according to current and former American <laughs> officials. The agency pays Mr. Karzai for a variety of service, including helping to recruit an Afghan paramilitary force that operates at the CIA's direction in and around the southern city of Kandahar, Mr. Karzai's home. The financial ties and close working relationship between the intelligence agency and Mr. Karzai raise significant questions about America's war strategy, which is currently under review at the White House. And one of the stories you didn't get to review is that another gentleman just quit over that uh, war strategy. Right, this week. Um, one minute. yep, yeah, okay, well then i'll just I'll just get right down to it. Uh, uh, a senior military official speaking on conditions of anonymity said, hundreds of millions of dollars in drug money are flowing through the southern region, and nothing happens in southern Afghanistan without the regional leadership knowing about it. A senior American military official in Kabul said, like most of the officials in this article, he spoke on condition of anonymity uh, because of the secrecy of the information. But then he said, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck, the American officer said of Mr. Karzai. Our assumption is that he's benefiting, benefiting from the drug trade.
3: So he's involved in the drug trade, uh, Karzai, the, the head of Afghanistan government, mm-hmm. his brother.
2: Uh, yes, and the CIA is, giving, is paying him. Paying this Mr. Karzai, who's involved in the drug trade.
3: Well, where do they have the money to pay the Taliban that we had in the earlier story? To, so they won't attack our convoys. Remember, mm-hmm. they have that office in Kabul where they go. The contractors go give them money.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, it looks like they all know what's going on over there, except the American public. The American mm-hmm. public has we we thought there was a war going on yeah, over there. Yeah, I know. And it's and there's some other enterprise going on. Man, that's and not it a is war. so
2: sad to get emails from people. And they tell me about they, you know, I get emails from from family members and stuff, and they're, it's yeah. a, a, you know, it's designed to sort of rally, rally the troops and right. moral support. And I, right. I mean, I really, really believe I every military person that I've met uh, uh, seems to be an upstanding person. Right. And it's just sad to see them being their lives
3: are being, yeah, their lives are being exploited and wasted on the battlefield. World War One, mm-hmm. whatever. It's just like the same. Yes. Uh, someone who's not a waste to us is Merv, who uh, could tell you how to contact us here at FutureQuake.
5: FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at Future at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the shows, topics, or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Doctor Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
3: Okay, we got the last few seconds. Man,
5: it's
2: hard to get him back in the closet when he's
3: done. I know. I've been getting more Merv emails. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, one positive thing we could say is go read your Bible. Your Bible will tell you what the kings of the earth and what the merchants of the earth do better than we ever can. Uh, Your reading assignment is to read Revelation 18, and that will tell you what we talk about here on Future Quake. Mm -hmm. We'll have another great guest next week, but guess what? Until then,
0: then, your future's very bright. Sayonara. Goodbye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.